welcome back, folks, to Make Mine Multiversity, a Marvel podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Gregory. With me, as usual, are Nick and Jess. And we're here to talk about all things Marvel for the month of September. Before we do that, though, I want you to take a moment and pause whatever you're doing. Stop running on the elliptical, pull over in your car, or if you're at a stoplight or a red light, or, you know, if you're listening to this before your wedding or if you're at a restaurant or whatever you're doing, stop what you're doing. And if you haven't already subscribed to our show on Apple podcasts or wherever else you might listen to your podcast, do so and rate us uh, be really helpful for us. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know what you think. And that'll help us, you know, get some more visibility and all that stuff, which is good because it'll help us do other big fun things. Um, if you haven't already, check us out at multiversitycomics.com. That's where we're hosted. That's where you can find all of the comic content that your little heart could ever desire. Uh, but with that, we're here to talk about first all the biggest news that Marvel put out in the month of September. And then for the second part of the show, talk about some books, big books, important books and things. Wolverine's back sort of things that marvel did in september uh but nick jess you guys ready how y'all doing today i'm ready i'm ready, ready. Too. <laughs> all right yeah, all right we're ready marvel right now very marvel very merry 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 marvel quite contrary i don't know what i'm doing okay uh so first up probably the biggest thing that happened in the month of september coming out of marvel studios is we got the first trailer for the upcoming Captain Marvel movie starring Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. Um, so we'll start, we'll start with Jess first. What were your sort of initial reactions to the, uh, to the trailer? What are your thoughts? Oh, I, I think it actually looks really good. I mean, I, like, Carol looks great. Like just that costume really translated well, I think. And um, Brie Larson seems to really get like what she should kind of, how she should, what her mannerisms are like um and the helmet it makes an appearance which got which got me really hyped because i love the helmet i'm a fan of the helmet um <laughs> uh yeah i i think it looks good i i've been um i'm not like super in love with all the marvel movies and i've gotten real hyped over trailers before with the marvel movies and the movies were kind of eh um so I'm hoping that's not the case with this, but I, I'm I'm kind of excited. I, I I like the place in the Marvel universe that Carol's going to have. Um, I like how important she's going to be going forward. Um, and I like that this movie is not really an origin story. Like we're not going to sit there and watch her get her powers for two hours, and then all of a sudden she's going to be in Avengers Four. Um, so I like that, and I'm just I'm really fingers crossed on this soundtrack because the potential is so good. <laughs> Oh wait, is there soundtrack well, big new stuff? Well, it Did takes place that? in the '90s, so oh, I'm hoping right. like this soundtrack is 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 uh it, it whips as the children say right now. So I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping that that's the case. <laughs> good, good. Okay, that that makes more sense. I was confused. I was like, did somebody get an out? Like, we're we gonna have another Kendrick Lamar Black Panther kind of thing? But no, yeah, that that's right. It is set in the '90s. Um, oh, the '90s. Uh well, that's that's exciting coming from you. I know that you, yeah, you have been sort of down on a lot of the a lot of the Marvel movies. So, if you're excited, maybe it'll be good. Um, 
Yeah. Nick, what, what say you? What were your sort of first few thoughts on the Captain Marvel trailer? Um, I watched it and I was like, oh, look, it's another Marvel movie. <laughs> but like it's starring a woman, which is cool. Um, yeah, it looks like another Marvel movie. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be a little bit more interesting for the reasons that Jess pointed out. Um, cause it's a period piece and because, uh, because it's not just going to be an origin story. Uh, like it's going to be an origin story of sorts, but only in the way that any story is an origin story. Just that like it's the beginning of her adventures on earth as opposed to the beginning of her life, um, as a power being. Uh, so yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Um, I saw scrolls. I wonder how much it's going to have to do with the scrolls. Uh, like, is it just going to be a, I don't think it's going to be a straight up like Cree scroll war type of thing. Cause I feel like that's, if you put the Cree and the scrolls together, I feel like that's an inevit an inevitability, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I wonder if the nineties setting is going to be used in an interesting way, or if it's going to be like on legends of tomorrow where they just like play the number one, uh, hit of the year and that's like the extent of it other than like the other stereotypes that exist sure. about I that mean, era. she crashed into a blockbuster so she did that was so wow. good <laughs> yeah. it's one of the first things we see yeah <laughs> yeah i think that's about it the, visually it doesn't look particularly interesting um but i do love brie larson i don't think i've ever watched something where i didn't like her so that's good sure yeah sure and you got to think too, like the scroll showing up, they got to be working their way to like secret, uh, what was invasion? invasion? There you go. Mm-hmm. They got to be working their way up to something with that, I guess. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a Marvel movie, so I don't know, but. Yeah, I mean, and if they've worked NV, their NV way towards. Envy Adams, Adams over here is looking great as Captain Marvel, so. <laughs> she is. Uh,. She looks great in everything. Um, True. I think... (laughs) uh, Yeah, I think Secret Invasion is definitely a possibility. I mean, they already worked their way into Winter Soldier. They worked their way into Civil War. They worked their way into uh, Infinity Gauntlet. I feel like, yeah, of course they're going to keep going after those big stories. So that's pretty cool to think about. Mm -hmm. Mm Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does. I uh, I was uh, I got really I guess sort of excited, like a lot of the other parts of of the internet got excited about the the moment where it's like you know like it's it says her and then it comes up and it's like hero. I thought that was really really cool, and the trailer. Um, but I yeah I guess I I definitely agree with Jess. Like I think the costume translated really well. I think there's a lot of potential for all the '90s stuff to be used in a really interesting way. Uh, I think the scroll stuff might be interesting. I thought it was really funny that there were people that were actually mad that she punches an old woman in the trailer and like wrote actual <laughs> articles about her punching an old woman. And like, you can't punch old people, but it's this. It's like, did you watch the trailer? Like, they're they're shape shifting aliens. Like that. That's the whole point. <laughs> I don't. I don't get it. I don't understand. Anyway. This is not some kind of like metaphor for how the millennials are taking over. Like it's literally just stupid comic shit. But, um, but yeah, the no, I thought, Kevin, it's Disney. 
<laughs> but but Beyonce's not in the movie, so That's, it can't be the yet, Illuminati, right? Yeah, she's gonna play. Uh, she's she's gonna play Monica Rambeau. Just wait for it now. Oh, <laughs> uh, that would be dope. That would actually be really cool. Um, no, yeah, like I think I think it looks. I think it looks good. I think it has the potential to look good. Uh, I've rewatched Black Panther recently and I sort of agree with some of Nick's analysis from the second time that he watched it, that it's very much a Marvel movie, even though it has all the cool Black Panther things and Wakanda things going on. And so I'm kind of expecting the cynical part of me is expecting this movie to be like cool and be cool. 90 stuff and be cool. Like be wonder woman esque. And so far as that it's Marvel's first real attempt to have a female led superhero movie. But it might, yeah, kind of devolved into third act fight scene, and that's just that's just the nature of the game at this point. I really like the poster, though. The poster's really nice. The poster, the poster is really, really cool. cool, and Chewie shows up in the poster, which is very important. Oh, the, her cat! Yeah, in the left hand yeah. corner, you see a little kitty cat tail, and mm-hmm. I love kitty cats, and I I <laughs> I use my own cat in my Captain Marvel cosplay. And I did go. like there you go. three yeah. or four years ago. I used my cat Pebbles. She was my Chewy. She didn't want to be Chewy, but she was <laughs> Chewy. <laughs> <laughs> and the the tagline is like the tagline from Kelly Sue's yeah. run, yeah. right? Well, it's, it's like missing. It's faster. missing more, but everyone's pretty sure they're just going to save that for the sequel. So it'll be higher, further, faster, more for Captain Marvel two. They got to hold oh. on to the last part for marketing. They 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 were smart there. They they held back. <laughs> title of the second film is more captain marvel so yeah. it'll be yeah yeah yep no that's that's fair that's fair <laughs> nick what what are you yeah uh question why i'm sure that someone has i'm sure that like hundreds of people have written thought pieces about this before but i just haven't looked into it why is it that the two first female-led superhero movies like in these new universes or Ever, maybe? Definitely for like DC and Marvel superheroes, except Supergirl. Oh my god. Sorry, I, I'm just like having this realization that Supergirl is the first female led big two superhero movie. Was that like in yeah. 1984? Yeah. 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 All right. Well, anyway, <laughs> in the current era, uh, both of them take place in the past. Like, what's up with that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Why? I mean, at least what does like, it mean? <laughs> at least, like with Captain Marvel, I mean, I guess I see what they're doing with that. Where they're like, "Yeah, Nick Fury said all that time ago. You think you're the only one? You're really not. She's she was out there doing what she was doing. So I guess that makes sense. But Wonder Woman being set during World War Two is kind of like, why World War One? World War One, yeah. yeah. It's like why that that one. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least it. I mean, I liked Wonder Woman. I mean, it wasn't like amazing, but I liked it. But that's an interesting thing to bring up because at least you can kind of rationalize Captain Marvel in the way that they've set up their universe. Mm-hmm. But they could yeah. have just had Wonder think... Woman take place now, and that would have been fine. Yeah, it's it's just weird because after even after all this time, it's like we're finally getting the movies, but we're still not actually getting like this is what they represent today. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And, uh, and I think I think for Wonder Woman it was like a oh, look at all this sexism in the 1920s or not in the 19, late 1910s and like look, see how we have this powerful female character. Yeah, um, but I never like things like that. Not never. Sure. But I never love them 
just for the fact that it makes people ignore the problems that still exist today because it's like, oh, look at how bad we were back then. Good thing we're better today. Yeah, no, I think I think that that's definitely like a valid criticism um, and it helps to ignore some of that stuff because it's like, oh, yeah, things were worse, but now they're better. Um, and I, I don't I guess the 90s was also I mean, never mind. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, society I is just always getting more and more progressive uh, in terms of social views, I think, as a whole. Um, yeah. And definitely when looking at women's rights over the last hundred years, that's the case. Yeah, I think you can get, they can probably get into a lot of like 90s white feminism stuff mm-hmm. being said in the 90s. So if Shania Twain's oh, man, I feel man, like woman yes, that has that to be in it. And, and uh, Rebel that. Girl by Bikini <laughs> Kill has to be in it. It's easy, the real basic songs, but like they have to be in the movie. They have to be. Yep. Then you can. Then once <laughs> you get the to, basic songs they in there, then you can have fun with like the deep cuts. But the basic stuff has to be in there. Like we need a montage of like Captain Marvel right. just punching people to Rebel Girl, and then we can move on with our lives. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. And she's like, is she is is Captain Marvel? Is she also Canadian, or is she just like in the modern like the current stuff? She's just in Alpha oh, no, Flight she's American. and Alpha Flights like she's Stacey American. stuff and yeah, yeah, yeah she's American. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Never mind. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's, she's, Force, Canadian, and, and she's Alpha Flight's right. like not like Canadian anymore. It's like it's it's like a whole other right. thing. It's weird. Yeah. Ever since they Canadian. all died yeah. in that Avengers. Well, yeah. <laughs> like early in New Avengers. Okay. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> it's like this third arc of Bendis's New Avengers. Uh, this. Remember how all the mutants like died in House of M or like their powers got yeah. taken away? Yeah. So basically all of those powers went together into the like this one man and then he just like started killing people and on his warpath was yeah, Alpha so Flight. Yeah, they all got murdered. <laughs> yeah, New Avengers 11 through 15, I believe. That is uh, that is a, that that is a is really a, bad that idea. That is a <laughs> entertaining to read not as good when you're like repeating it back out loud (laughs) well he's at dc now so it doesn't matter um cool any other captain marvel thoughts the movie's out march 8th 2019 i wrote that down so that i would make sure to say it not because i need to advertise for marvel but just so that i can remember uh just to go back to the feminism thing you said uh maybe they can get into 90s white feminism well why not get into modern day feminism that's all I got to say. No. Yeah. But I think, I think from like a, so from like an academic standpoint, like the seventies, eighties, nineties are like the like prime primo, like historical moment of like feminism. Mm-hmm. And so like, there's still, obviously there's still feminists that exist now, but it's, it's like at, I think at that like historical moment in time, it's like, Oh, the war for women's equality is going to be over like tomorrow. Okay. And now we're living in this age where we realize, oh shit, we still have a long, long way to go with like feminist issues and with like issues of race and all these other things. But I think in that moment we were celebrating like, yes, we're about to hit it. And like utopia is on the way. Uh, so that's, I think that's more what I meant. Okay. And then also I <laughs> Twain, man, I feel like I used to run around amazing. the house singing that song when I was like, three. also she, there's <laughs> a, there's that photo where um, she's wearing a nine inch nail shirt. So I know like, 
the kids have to go see this movie, but at some point closer should probably play. Save it for the credits. <laughs> it will have absolutely no it will make yes. no sense in context, but she wore a nine inch nail shirt, so I feel like I need that. You know what? Fans are gonna have fun making their own little edits on on YouTube. That's gonna be good. That's that's where I'm gonna get everything I want. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's gonna be the positive thing that comes out of this movie. The movie may not be good, but at least the fan edits on YouTube will be one. <laughs> hours and hours of free free fun <laughs> of '90s songs. <laughs> yes. Look, I have a secret past in making those. So. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, yeah, I have a secret oh pass that's not so secret anymore. I, I've made a couple. Uh, no, oh my gosh! Oh my god! Wait, no, <laughs> those are two different. Be- oh, I, I, I know what you meant, but you know what I meant. <laughs> I mixed the two, but yeah, there's two oh, yeah. songs that are in like AMVs every MV. A great thing that existed for teens in in the mid 2000s that was when you that that to me is when youtube was at its peak <laughs> when everyone was making amvs of like the most like the most the same animes and it was just like <laughs> it was like all the same shows and they were all the same song but like everyone wanted to do it differently oh it was great that was a great time that was a good time for the internet that's a good time for the end. We have to. We have to go back. We Let's have go, to back. go back. It's. Be- I mean, it's like a million times better than what we've got now. So. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Alrighty. <laughs> one final thought. Um, in when one of you was just talking about how uh, Kevin, you were saying how the '90s was sort of like everyone felt like we were like approaching the end of this era and then about to like really go into a completely new thing, like beyond those issues mm-hmm. um i feel like that's you can extend that to the 90s as a whole uh because especially in america <clears throat> pre-9 pre-9-11 uh everything in terms of like i feel like there was a certain naivete and a certain like we can only go up from here idea that people had right. and like with technology constantly getting like just infinitely better every day uh, and just the economy doing really well. And yeah, all of that, I feel like Captain Marvel can be a really interesting uh, symbol for that feeling of the 90s. Uh, oh, yeah. Sort of that, like, always pushing up higher and better and stronger. Mm-hmm. And I and I absolutely think that this movie is going to be, like, super, super optimistic. Um, and I think, I guess, sort of on, on that note, um, I mean, like, when... So there's like like trends and like, you know, utopian and sort of like dystopian kinds of stories and like science fiction stories. Like when things are really, really good, people write stories that like, oh, we're, we're terrified of everything and everything's about to go to hell. And then when things are really, really bad, we like write our way out of things and we, we create art that's like more hopeful and more optimistic and more like, oh, we can do this. And I think that we're in one of those times where the kinds of stories that we're starting to see are more lighthearted and more optimistic or not even lighthearted, just like optimistic, just like fun and like celebratory of all the human experience and humanity things. And I think mm-hmm. in a lot of ways that's, that's kind of what, what wonder woman was in some ways. It's like, no, like the end of the movie, it's like, Oh, we have war. War is bad. We always had war, but like we can still, we can still love people and like people are still good and there's still something worth saving. And I totally think that this movie's going to kind of be in the same vein. It's like bad shit's going to happen. 
bad shit's going to happen all across the universe and the galaxy and whatever else. And then at the end of it, happy fun time. And I believe in people and I believe in life and things are going to be good. Mm -hmm. And then Um, that's going to extend like from a macro standpoint, I feel like there's never been a better time for this movie in terms of the entire Marvel universe. If that's the tone that it's going to take just because at this point, everybody's dead. (laughs) And then it, it, paves the way for a more optimistic and triumphant uh, final movie where everybody isn't dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 no, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. All right, trucking along. Uh, so the second big, and this is less an announcement of something, but definitely a big development that happened in September is that uh, the six issue vision miniseries that was announced at San Diego comic-con written by Chelsea Kane and her husband, Mark Mahan with art by odd cook uh, was canceled after being solicited for the first issue being solicited for November and it will not be resolicited. Uh, Marvel canceled the project um, and Kane has gone on record in multiple interviews kind of saying that uh, Marvel wanted really wanted her to keep quiet about this and to not make a big, you know, spell about it and that they would give her work. Eventually she said it was going to be sort of a continuation of Tom King and Gabriel Hernandez Walta's vision book. And she had gotten asked to do this book two years ago, right as King was leaving to go to DC to be a DC exclusive. So the book's been in the work for, for two years. And I think they said they had four issues in the can. Um, and so she's been very public. In another interview, she said, I am dead to Marvel. Um, but she's kind of shed a lot of light on just sort of like the power imbalances of um, sort of the way that the, the freelance world works in comics. Um, and so it's been it's been a ride the last week and a half. So, Nick, we'll we'll start with you. What are some of your some of your thoughts about about Vision being canceled and about Chelsea Kane getting getting screwed by Marvel for the second time? So at first, when I heard the news, I was like, really? <laughs> like, of all people to do this to, you do it to her? Um, who had just, mm-hmm. not just, but whose last work at the company ended with her having to leave because she was getting so badly harassed. Um, and then I read Captain Marvel. Leave Twitter because she was getting so badly harassed. What was that? I said having to leave Twitter because she was getting so badly harassed. Yeah. I mean, the book Mockingbird got canceled after issue three, but they said it will give you eight issues or whatever. Oh, okay. Yeah. But she, yeah. she as a whole sort of became disillusioned with the comic book world right? uh, because of that incident. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Anyway, then I read Marvel's official uh, response about why it was canceled. And they said, uh, basically it just didn't fit. It had been too long since Tom King's vision happened and her story no longer fit with the uh, basically what Vision and Viv Vision were up to in the current Marvel Universe two years later. And that made sense to me. Uh, but then I read <laughs> Chelsea Kane's scathing interviews that she gave, particularly the one from, uh, I think it was Entertainment Weekly. And mm-hmm. yeah, uh, there was a lot more going on there. Uh, basically, she had been working on the series since like two years ago, and it just wasn't going to be published until now, from what I understand. Uh, And 
I can still understand the editorial perspective, but at the same time, I feel like, why don't you just publish it as an out of continuity miniseries? You know, like why, why cut off all the work that they did? And this sort of thing happens all the time, but it almost never happens to the point where the book has already been solicited for multiple issues. That's what's really mind blowing because, the, right. you know, product, projects start up and then they just fall apart uh, all the time. And as long as the creators, you know, got paid for their work uh, that they were doing during that time, it's, it's all fine. Uh, that's how every creative industry works, uh, particularly film and TV. So I don't see why comics should be any different, but yeah, just the fact that they got so far as to like half the mini <laughs> was done. Like that's pretty crazy. Um, yeah. And then Kane's stance on all of it was really interesting to me just about how the comic industry still isn't really up to where the film and TV industries are. Uh, just in terms of respecting creators. Um, I have to push back on that a little because I think most industry, most industries don't treat their creators as well as they should. Uh, but at the same time, comics are definitely still a long way from being where they should be. And yeah, I, I liked her <laughs> her new stance, which is, they need me more than I need them. So I'm just going to do my own thing. And if they want me, like they're going to need to treat me well. And I think that's how all creative people should be, but that's just not the reality of the world and the institutions that allow us to create these projects. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think the thing that's different with, with comics that's maybe different than, than film or TV in some ways uh, it's just the amount of sort of, I guess, intimacy that there is in the comic book world. Like it's small, it's small enough that you're always a handful of degrees removed from, from certain creators and like creators are more active on social media or some of them are. Uh, we have things like Comic-Con where you don't have to, pay to meet people like and you don't have to pay to interact with people i mean you have to pay like entry fees to cons and stuff but you don't have to like pay hundreds of dollars to get to get autographs for the most part like you can have real conversations with with creators and stuff like that um and there's just like it's just it's just so so much smaller and i and i'm sure that 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 you're right nick that the way that um writers on film and television are treated as freelancers is probably also not great. Um, I guess I just, they, it opened my eyes in a lot of ways to um, just like what it means to be a, like a freelance person and even what it means to be an exclusive uh, writer or artist at a company. Uh, and just like the lack of benefits that come with that and sort of like the lack of support that comes from those, those companies when things you know, fall apart like this. Um, and I do think it's ridiculous that they got four issues in and then Marvel pulled the plug and that they announced it in San Diego, like that they made a very public announcement that this, that this book was happening. Um, Cause I'm sure that you're right. Like there are books that get, uh, that people work on them and then they, they're not put out or like that are even solicited and are not put out, but like to be this far in a project and then to be like, Nope, we're going to pull it. I think is, 
is also pretty nuts. And she's totally right. Like she has, uh, at least I think in she, in this situation, if it was another freelancer, definitely not like she has the power in this, in this situation to say whatever she wants, because yeah, she's an, like an award-winning novelist or whatever. And she doesn't need this comic work to continue to have a career, but like for other people who don't have that kind of writing experience or don't have other industries that they have their legs into and are relying on comic stuff or like want to be a, a comic writer or artist. Uh, it, it helps to shine the light on how shitty some of that stuff is. So yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jess, what about you? Um, it This is like the most wild situation I can remember in comics in recent memory, because the, they had so much of it done already. And it's absolutely ridiculous to then say that um, that what she was doing didn't match up with what they wanted to do. And initially I had um, a little bit more, I I don't know if it's sympathy, but I understood that argument. But then Jim Zub tweeted about it. And uh, for those who don't know, Jim Zub is actually writing Vision right now. He has, he's got, he's got Viv um, in his book. And he went on record saying that what he has planned for his series with those characters in his book had nothing to do with what she was doing. So, and, and the way comics works is you are a certain amount of issues ahead of what's actually being released. So while we may be reading champions 24, they're already working on an issue way down the line. So he went on record saying that, what he had planned hasn't changed. His his exact tweet was, the story plans I have for Viv and Vision in Champions haven't changed. And from what I was told, the Vision series was fine doing its own thing. So somewhere, someone just decided that this book just did not need to happen. I don't know why, but it looks very bad. And Chelsea Kane is right for being this angry. And she's also right by saying that they need her more than she needs them. She was a New York Times bestseller a decade ago. She doesn't need Marvel. She's doing just fine. Her best, her her thrillers are doing just fine. So, and the thing with comics is you have, comics writing is a very specific thing compared to writing a novel, but you need to, the way things work, you need to sell books. And bringing people in who have a recognizable name in a different area is a good thing. Bringing in people like Chelsea Kane is a good thing. Pe- bringing people in like uh, uh, Rainbow Rowell is a good thing because they're going to sell books, comics, to people that don't normally buy them. So you do need her. She's very important. She could sell you a lot of books. And they canceled this knowing how far ahead it was. And then they want her to stay quiet as if she has anything to gain by doing that. It, the whole thing is just really bizarre to me. And I'm really excited that she's decided to not be quiet about it. I love it because I think freelancers get treated really badly in comics. Even the most successful writers are still freelancers and they don't have the kind of power they probably should have or the kind of protections they probably should have. Um, 
So the fact that she's now turned this around and is really putting a spotlight on how messed up all this is, is fantastic. Like, I'm at the point where I'm going to just buy anything she works on because I think what she's doing is way more important than her writing a vision series. So I don't know. I, I, I am completely against Marvel deciding to do this because it, it makes no sense. It makes no sense to me. So that's interesting. And I had only, I don't know why, but I had only just considered like while Kevin was speaking, <laughs> uh, the possibility that maybe the reason Marvel gave wasn't actually correct. Um, yeah. So thank you for expanding on that, Jess. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, when you had mentioned when you had talked about editorial, like I had the same belief initially too. I said, you know, I get it. Like maybe maybe there is something they have planned and that this book doesn't make sense coming out at this time, but the guy who's actually writing those characters went on record and said, "No, I don't know what they're talking about." So, <laughs> good job Akira Yoshida. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it also doesn't make sense because she made it sound like it. Her book was going to take place like immediately after King and and Walt's Vision book. Why not just say this book takes place right after the Vision number twelve, and just yeah. say that it took it was taking place in the past, or even just make and it then, out of continuity. Yeah, yeah, like you could still absolutely publish this book and reward these creators' hard work, um, and and it still coincide with what. Jim Zub was doing on Champions or whatever the hell else that Marvel has planned for for Viv or for or for Vision going into 2019. Like that that is like there's so many other ways that this book could have come out than sort of and the like the BS excuse that like oh you know it didn't match up with our plans. Like they there have been tons of books that have come out that are completely contradictory to one another and they still exist. Um and so I don't know. It doesn't make it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, but I do love that that Kane is going on a rampage, um, and I think that she's justified in in absolutely all of it. And I'm bummed because I wanted to read this book. Like it was like mm-hmm. the most the book that I was the most excited about coming out of San Diego that Marvel announced. I think yeah, but that's selfish of me. No, I think but a lot also, of people were really excited for it. For me personally, that was probably the book that I was looking forward to most. Yeah, I think it would have been cool. And like she was writing it with her husband and like all the details that she gave about it was like, oh, it's going to be a like we're writing like they were having their daughter give input too. it's like uh, the relationship between like like parents and their children. And they were writing it as parents and they were talking to their child. And I don't know, it just sounded like it was going to be such a cool project. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, and I think that she, for it to be her, who also got screwed with, with Mockingbird, um, I don't, it, it's, it's nuts. But she's got another book coming out from Image. It is her feminist agenda. We asked about it. We're getting it. So that is, that is exciting. <laughs> um, do you have any other, any other thoughts on the Vision stuff? Uh, do you guys think we'll ever get to see these issues? I hope so. I mean, can you imagine drawing four issues of a book and then it just doesn't come out? Jeez. God. Yeah. I, I can't. And especially because especially that was Odd Cook. That was her, her first book that she was like solicited as 
the writer at the beginning of the series. Like she had done some some art on some issues of Ultimates Squared, I think, with Al Ewing that were pretty good. Um, but this was like I think going to be her like big Marvel break, and um, those issues that she did of of Ultimates were really good. And so that was another thing I was looking forward to. So I hope I hope her career in this is also um, not not damaged because of of this book being canceled and that she has other work at marvel or a dc or at another publisher going forward i hope that for her so yeah one quick thing um <clears throat> i'm looking for it right now but a while ago uh jonathan hickman tweeted out about like he basically said i've written or i've spent the last like year and a half writing these three different pilots uh, and I don't know if any of them are ever going to get produced or seen by anybody. And like people in comics don't know how good they have it. Um, and that was like, that's not the exact wording of the tweet, but that's basically the core of what he was getting at. And yeah, I just want to repeat in other industries, this sort of thing is very common um, where like you'll, you'll work a lot and you'll produce a lot and the vast majority of what a studio makes doesn't end up getting seen by anybody. Um, so that, yeah, I don't know. I just wonder if that's where comics are headed in a sense. I doubt it because it's easier because it doesn't cost as much. It's easier to just like throw it out on the market. And nobody really like if it fails, it fails. Um, anyway, <laughs> these are just some like a smattering of random final thoughts yeah, no, and and I, I, I get that. I think in a lot of under other industries, this kind of stuff is a lot less public than, at least mm-hmm. this, at least That's this it. situation, um, and even in comics, like you were saying earlier, like there are tons of projects that don't continue to move forward. Um, I think in this particular instance, there was an injustice done, but I totally, I totally agree with you on that. Uh, that yeah, there, being a freelancer means sometimes you do a lot of work and nothing comes of it. Um, as long as you get paid, like that's <laughs> you, you did the job. Right. And I mean, as a creator, you would like people to see it. Like that's the mm-hmm. whole point of you making it, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's also just not always the reality. Sure. 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 Okay, cool. So we're going to, we have a lot of, a lot of books that Marvel announced in September that, most of them got solicited for September or January or, or are announced coming out in January. So we're going to kind of rapid fire our way through a few of these. Um, so first up, Miles Morales is coming back and Miles Morales Spider-Man written by Saladin Ahmed with art by Javier Guerin. It's an ongoing book. It's coming out in December. This is the first Miles solo title that was not written by Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, and it also coincides with the animated film that's coming out in December. So, uh, Jess, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts on uh, on this book and on Ahmed? G- give me heaven. This is give me five copies immediately. <laughs> I will. I will just keep buying them to pad the numbers mm-hmm. so it goes on forever. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's a ringing endorsement. Oh, Nick, what do you? What say you? Uh, I like Miles. I'm excited, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I don't... The only thing that I've read by Saladin Ahmed was uh, Exiles, 
Yeah, just the first arc of Exiles. And I like that a lot. And I like Miles and Javier Garon. His art looks good. So it's going to be fun. Yeah, Marvel Young Gun, Javier Garon. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. No, I Exiles is good. We, we've talked already about that on this show multiple times. Uh, Black Bolt was really, really good. I have just started reading uh, Quicksilver No Surrender, which is also written by him. Also very good. Um, I'm super excited uh, that Ahmed's writing Miles. I'm glad that there's a person of color who's writing Miles for the first time. Um, Ahmed's been doing great work at Marvel. Those Brian Stelfreeze covers are going to be dope. And I'm super glad that this book is not called Spy D, like Bleeding Cool was rumoring that it was going to be called. Um, and, but with that, do you think that... So Brian, so Ben just set up a lot of S.H.I.E.L.D.-related or spy-related stuff at the end of his run on um, Invincible Iron Man and at the end of his run on on Miles's series in Marvel Legacy. Do you think that we'll ever get a follow-up on any of that? Either of um, them. Wait, sorry, I, I missed that last part. A follow-up on what? Uh, so at the end of Invincible Iron Man, um, Riri and Miles get taken to what is the new... I guess going to be shield um, thing because shield got okay. uh, disbanded at the end of, of um, secret empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause Nazi Steve used it to take over the world. Um, and so Leonardo da Vinci is there. Who's not dead in the Marvel universe, which for some weird <laughs> thing, I think that's in the Hickman shield stuff. Yeah. Um, and he was like, Riri, I'm recruiting you. Also, Miles, I'm recruiting you to do whatever this new S.H.I.E.L.D. thing is. And Blade's there. Um, and, like, Cable's in the Bendis-Miles uh, series telling Miles' dad that Miles has a future doing Shieldy stuff. And so then Bleeding Cool reported that Marvel was talking about changing Miles' codename from Spider-Man to Spy-D. Uh, okay. Um, like spy number D or spy letter D or whatever, but like spy D that's a stupid ass name. Um, <laughs> but I'm wondering if we'll ever, if that'll be, if we'll ever get a follow up on any of that shield stuff and if shield will be back anytime soon in the Marvel universe. I mean, uh, you I mean, guess. shield will probably be back, but I, I think like with Bendis leaving, I don't think any of that's going to get picked up. I think like when somebody like that leaves, you try to like kind of leave what they did in the past. Like, I feel like, they're probably taking this in the movie and using it as like a really good launching point to do something different, to do something new with miles, but not like new in the sense that he's going to be a spy. Like they're doing something that is theirs and not Bendis because he's not there anymore. So. Sure. 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 Yeah. I uh, don't really like shield (laughs) in general. So I hope that doesn't come into this series. (laughs) You a you a small government guy, Nick? No, just, I also do not like. I also uh. do not like Shield. No, <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't like Shield either. No, I I always fair. found to be like at least the comic book version is just like it's it's just, just random secret government agency. Yeah, they're just and and then they just are somehow yeah. responsible for everything, and it's just like and they're all really and bad they're at their all jobs horrible and... at their job. They're horrible at everything, so it's just like stay away. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, like I feel like the only time that I ever sort of enjoyed Shields was 
maybe in Secret War, which happened like right before the Hickman Avenger, or no, right before the Bendis Avenger started. Uh, but that was also, I just liked it because of the team that would end up becoming new Avengers. Uh, and then I also liked it in Hickman's Secret Warriors. But again, the only reason I liked that was because I really liked the stuff with the Caterpillar teams, which wasn't even really S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. I haven't read Hickman's like S.H.I.E.L.D. book that everybody raves about. And that finally just ended. I think if I, I might like some more S.H.I.E.L.D. things if I read that, only because that gives it one of those, excuse me, one of those weird comics, secret history things that's been going on for 500 years kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't know. All right. Moving right along. So we're getting a new X-Force book because it's the 90s again. Um, Ed Brisson is going to be writing and Dylan Burnett, who just recently was doing the art on Cosmic Ghost Rider with Donnie Cates, is going to be doing the art for this ongoing that starts in December. It's going to be starring the original X-Force team uh, minus Cable of Domino, Cannonball, Shatterstar, Boom Boom, and Warpath plus Deathlock. And they're going to be hunting for young sexy cable and it's spinning out of extermination. Also, we're getting a one shot in December called X-Men, the exterminated. And the only thing that I can hear in my head is those Dalek things from Dr. Who exterminate. Exterminate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler are Nadler, Nadler, Nadler are co-writing that. And then there's going to be a backup story by Chris, Chris Claremont. Because apparently Chris Claremont's finally getting to write some stuff because Akira Yoshida's in charge now. And then Neil Edwards and others are going to be doing the art on that. So, uh, Jess, we'll start with you as our resident X expert. What are your thoughts on X-Force coming back? I've never really been a big X-Force fan. I liked um, that run that Rick Remender had. I thought that was pretty good. And then I liked the Cable and the X-Force book that Dennis Hopeless wrote. Um, but, like, old school X-Force, like, I never... I, I never got into, like, that crazy, like, super action-heavy stuff. It's just never really been, like, my thing, I guess. But, um, yeah. And I, and Rob Liefeld. No, Rob Liefeld is not my thing. I am not a modern-day Liefeld apologist, as so much of Twitter is. Um, <laughs> um, no, I, uh, I don't even like Young Sexy Cable. Like, I hate that. I hate it. Give me old... Josh Brolin Cable. I love old sexy Cable. Oh my god, he's he's great. Just he's. You don't like Hot Topic I Cable? Like, what, I what's not to love about like Hot, Hot Topic, Topic cable? cable? I think he needs to be exterminated. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to be exterminated with yeah. the rest of whoever else is getting exterminated. Um, when I think of uh, old cable, I think of just like a pile of large shards of glass and metal. <laughs> Uh, but then young cable is like a bar of dove soap. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's very, he's very smooth. His skin is very smooth. Why would you want to pile a glass and metal? <laughs> It'll keep I you just, warm enough. I don't. I don't, know, I don't look. Cable and Deadpool are a fun little pairing, and they're way more fun when Deadpool when a uh, cable's old and grumpy. So I don't know why you'd want to replace something that's not broken with young, sexy version that is just going to be annoying the whole time. So, yeah, no, I the sooner we get back the actual cable, the better. Fair enough. Fair enough. Nick, what say what say you about X-Force? Are Um, you a Ryan Liefeld apologist? (laughs) No, (laughs) 
not even a little. Um, I have two thoughts about this. One, uh, two of these characters recently got miniseries, Domino and Shatterstar, which is interesting. Um, the other thing is, um, like, what what's going to happen in Extermination if Young Cable doesn't end up finding the killer? Like, what? how is that actual plot going to progress? I haven't read it past issue one when we talked about it, but I felt like that was going to be the plot of that miniseries. But I guess the plot is now just these kids are going to die. I thought, no, because, okay, so issue two's out. Young Sexy Cable kills Old Sexy Cable in issue one, right? I think we read that. Uh, y- yeah. And then we're, kid- we're trying to figure out who's killing the young ones. No, no, no. Young Sexy Cable <laughs> kills Old Sexy Cable and kidnaps Young Iceman. Okay. Um, and then in issue two, he kidnaps Young Angel and cuts his wings off. Um, spoilers for anybody who hasn't read issue two. Sorry. Okay. Uh, and then those weird pirate people killed blood, killed Vampire Storm, Floodstorm. That's yeah. her name. Um, and I guess that's like the B plot in the series, but then eventually the young people are going back to their timeline, but young sexy cable is staying somehow, I think. Okay. Okay. That makes more sense. I was completely misremembering that issue. I, that may or may not be what happened. That's how I remember it. It may not be what happened. I don't know, but I think issue three comes out this week. I think so. Um, I think that's right. I think that's right. So I'll give you some more details soon ish um yeah i think so i think that the only thought that i really have on this book i haven't really read a lot of x many things or any of the original x-force stuff um i'm just curious what uh kelly thompson and matthew rosenberg are gonna get after uncanny x-men is over um because this kind of seems like the first of the new big x books and Brisson Thompson and Rosenberg are co-writing Uncanny for that 10-part series that we talked about last episode. And so I'm wondering if Thompson or Rosenberg, one of them, will keep Uncanny after uh, the disassembled uh, storyline is over. And then the other one of them will get another big X-Men book like I don't know what other X title, big title things there are like a book that's just called X-Men or a book that's, Mm -hmm. I don't know. So those are my only thoughts. Um, And I'm curious to see what happens. Maybe we'll learn some more in New York. Who knows? Alrighty. So, all right, these next ones are pretty, pretty just like pew, 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 pew. So Donnie Cates and Jeff Shaw are going to be the creative team on a new guardians of the galaxy book, which is launching in January. I think it's going to be spinning out of Infinity Wars. There was that Thanos legacy issue that came out earlier in this month where this announcement was made in the back of it. And that was a Infinity Wars tie in book. Um, We don't know who's going to be on the team, but that teaser had literally everyone or anyone that's ever been a guardian of the galaxy and Galactus. Um, So it might just like be a huge book. Who knows? Uh, but it sounds like this is they're going to be doing the status quo after Infinity Wars ends, which means that Jerry Duggan's whole run ends with Infinity Wars. So, uh, so Nick, do you have any thoughts on on Kate's and Shaw doing cosmicy things? Uh, let them keep doing what they're doing because people seem to like it. Very cool. Very cool. Jess, what what do you think? Yeah, same. Um, yeah, people are into it, so 
I guess keep going. I I mean it's not really my thing, so I guess it's a pass yeah. for me. <laughs> would you, yeah? Would either of you read a, a Kate Shaw Guardians of the Galaxy book? Um, I mean, I, I'll I'll try it. <laughs> I don't know if I'm like, yeah, but I'll try it. I don't know if I'm gonna like stay with it. Yeah, yeah. Sure. It's it's not my thing, but I don't think I would dislike it if I mm-hmm. tried reading it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I read their like their Thanos run that they did, um, which was much better than the Jeff Lemire, Mike Diodata stuff that was happening before that, which is a shame because I love Jeff Lemire, but I almost can't stand Mike Diodata's art anymore. Um, but it, yeah, it was like really cool and really creative and really fun. And obviously Kate's is doing a lot of cool stuff at Marvel. Um, so yeah, I, I think it, it creates a good jumping on point. Uh, Infinity Countdown and Infinity Wars have been kind of eh. So we'll see. Um, we will see. Cool. So we're getting a five-issue Winter Soldier miniseries written by Kyle Higgins, illustrated by Rod Rice. And that also starts in December. It's going to star Bucky as like a sort of fixer, helping other people find redemption like he has. Um, Jess, what do you think about Winter Soldier getting a new book? I uh, am not like the biggest Winter Soldier fan, but the creative team here um, is good. And I'm trying to find the name of a book so I can talk about it quickly. Cal, there you go. Kyle Higgins and Rod Rice had a book um, called Cal, and it was really good. It was like 60s spy stuff, but with like superheroes. And I remember being like, <clears throat> like totally obsessed with what, what, with that art. And, um, yeah, if it's anything like that, I'm all in. That's fair. That's fair. I'm unsure if Rice will be able to draw all five of these issues because he was solicited to do the Doctor Strange Damnation stuff and he only did issues one and four. But maybe he's had enough lead time that he'll be, he'll do all of it, which will be good. But who knows? Nick, what what do you think about about Bucky getting a new series? Uh, so I hadn't thought about Bucky being like Robin. I don't know why I hadn't, because duh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's interesting that Higgins wrote Nightwing and then now he's writing this. Um, mm. Yeah, no comment other than that. Yeah, yeah. And that he kind of said that in his in the like press release. He was like, I have history writing older sidekicks doing older sidekick things. Uh, so I think in that sense, yeah, he's got some experience writing a character like this sort of. Um, so yeah, it could be fun. It could be fun. I like Rod Rice's art. I like Kyle Higgins pretty okay. So it could be good. Cool. Another five issue mini series starting in December. Uh, Killmonger is getting a book happening, of course, because of the Black Panther movie, probably in all the good press that, uh, Michael B. Jordan's characterization of that character got uh, Brian Hill is going to be writing with art by Juan Ferreira. Uh, both, I guess it seems like they're, they were DC mainstays, but they were like sort of rebirthy people. Um, Hill just finished an art of detective arc of detective comics and Ferreira was on green arrow for all of Ben Percy's run. Um, but yeah, Nick, what do you what do you think? What are your sort of your initial thoughts on on this book? Uh, <laughs> definitely coming up to is it 
definitely happening because of the movie or had it been in progress before that? I think some of, I think the interview that Hill did kind of said, yeah, because the character was so popular because of black Panther. Um, uh, but this is like, it's an origin story book. So I think it's like set in the past. It's not set. in the current day of the Marvel universe stuff, it's, I think it's like a telling the story of, of this, of Killmonger. Uh, okay yeah the only brian hill thing i've read was the first volume of postal and uh he was co-writing that so i feel like i don't have a good feel for what his writing is like but it is cool that he keeps on getting a bunch of work at different publishers um yeah it's like he gets like a new book every week almost yeah yeah uh and then juan ferreira yeah his his stuff is very very good uh i really liked his green arrow stuff nice nice jess what do you what do you think um i'm not like super invested in killmonger but i am legally obligated to buy anything juan ferrer touches um (laughs) so um yeah no i'm i'm going to read this because of his art um i've been a fan of his for a long time like i read colder when that first came out that was his book with Mm -hmm. paul tobin that is like the creepiest like visually it is one of the creepiest books it might be the creepiest comic i've ever actually seen it's so good so he's great and i support him getting tons and tons of work and yeah i'm i'm gonna get it because of him like the story might not be great i don't know uh brian uh edward hill is a really good writer and um he's written for tv he wrote for uh ash versus evil dead so he, he was oh. in the writer's room for the last the last season, so um, he's good, but I am here for Juan Ferreira, like, entirely. Sure, sure. Yeah, I I loved uh, Ferreira's uh, Green Arrow stuff with Ben Percy. Those were the uh, the better issues of that run, or the ones that, that Ferreira did the art on. And that's, that's saying a lot, because Otto Schmidt was also on that book, and he is also a wonderful artist. Um, yeah, I really like Brian Hill. I've really dug a lot of his recent DC stuff. So uh, Detective Comics, his Detective Comics run that he did that just wrapped, I thought was really, really good. And I have been reading uh, Michael Cray, the first Wildstorm spinoff that he was writing, which is also very, very good. Uh, and I'm super excited for his Vertigo book that's coming, that American Carnage book. Um, and I think that he's really, really great. And I'll be reviewing Titans once it starts on the DC universe thing. And he was one of the writers on that show also. So I'm going to be getting a lot of Brian Hill in my life. Um, but yeah, I would read this for, for Ayers art alone. He was, you know, just previously doing old man Logan stuff. I'm not super interested in old man Logan, but I am definitely a little bit interested in this because it's got two people that I really like their stuff. So, yeah. All right. Moving along again. Uh, so we're getting another wedding. It's the year of the wedding in Comic Dumb in the big two. But is it really? I don't know. We don't know. Because how many of them really happened? So it's the year of the fake wedding in big two okay. Comic Dumb. Uh, ben Grimm and Alicia Masters are tying the knot in December's issue of Fantastic Four and Fantastic Four number five. Um, he proposed in the first issue of Fantastic Four. So hopefully the wedding is actually happening. Um it's, of course, being written by Dan Slott, who is the main writer of Fantastic Four, and with art by Aaron Cooter, uh, who is going to be doing the art for this whole second arc. 
And then also Adam Hughes and Mike Allred are going to be on this issue as well. There's also a special uh, wedding special one shot that Slot and Gail Simone are co-writing with art by Laura Braga. And it's uh, Alicia's uh, bachelorette party. And it's going to have like She-Hulk and some other people in it. Um, But I guess the big question is, will this wedding actually happen? Will one of these weddings actually happen? Um, So Nick, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts on this fantastic wedding? It's definitely going to happen unless one of them dies. (laughs) Uh, I like Gail Simone. No, actually... And take that back a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Gail Simone stuff always strikes me as like competent superhero work. I've never been a super huge fan, but I feel like this is the sort of thing that she would do really well in just making it a fun like one shot with the bachelorette party. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's interesting, yeah, that she's co-writing this with Dan Slott. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting pairing. Yeah. And then we also, in the past, we've talked about, like, I just, I love Aaron Cooter. Um, and then Adam Hughes and Mike Allred are both, like, very few people dislike them, I feel. Sure. So, yeah, that's a, I feel like it's a good team all around. I don't have much thoughts on the wedding itself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. It's fun that Slot and Allred are, are coming back to do stuff together since, you know, they did Silver Surfer for forever mm-hmm. so and that was a very good book jess what do you think about wedding things ben Grimm deserves to be happy so this wedding better happen <laughs> like <laughs> oh my god i'd be yeah. so mad if like something awful happens and they don't get married save that drama for somebody else let ben Grimm be happy yeah i agree with that it is it is super weird that we've had two high profile comic weddings this year and neither of them happened. Um, And I would have to think that because basically the whole first issue of this run was like, Oh, these people are getting married um, that it, it is going to happen. And that's sort of going to be the status quo of this book going forward. It's like, Oh yeah, Ben's married. What does that mean for the fantastic four? Um, I hope unless one of them dies, but who knows? Well, I guess we'll have to wait. I do love Aaron Cooter. I, I'm excited that he's going to be on this book. Alrighty. Uh, so another set of, uh, I guess like a sort of mini series thing, a series of five one shots that's happening just in December. Uh, the defenders, the best defense. And so it's going to be a series of five one shots starring the original four defenders from back when that book started of the Hulk and Namor, and Doctor Strange, and the Silver Surfer. So starting, we have a Immortal Hulk, The Best Defense, one-shot written by Al Ewing, with art by Simon DiMedio. We have a Namor one-shot written by Chip Zdarsky, with art by Carlos Magno. We have a Doctor Strange one-shot written by Jerry Duggan, with art by Greg Smallwood. We have a Silver Surfer one-shot written and illustrated by Jason Latour. And we have a Defenders one-shot where they all kind of come together, written by Al Ewing, with art by Joe Bennett. And that's the creative team of the main Immortal Hulk series. So it kind of seems like a sort of Seven Soldiers-esque book. That was a, a mini that Greg uh, or Grant Morrison wrote at DC a few years ago. And it kind of seems like these stories are all taking place separately. And somehow they'll all come together in some way by this last book. Uh, but they're also all $4.99 a piece. And they come out weekly in December. 
so it, it seems, I guess, less like Seven Soldiers to me and more like the fifth week events that DC would have in the 90s, uh, like late 90s, where they'd have like a one shot or they'd have a two issue thing. The first one comes out on the first week and the last one comes out on the fifth week. And then on the three weeks in between, they have different one shots coming out that fill in the story sort of in between. Uh, they did that a bunch of times. Uh, the two that are coming to mind right now are Green Lantern, Circle of Fire, and uh, Young Justice, Sins of Youth. So, yeah, this sort of thing isn't unprecedented. And I think it's it's something that we haven't seen in a while. The last time that we've seen something like this was Seven Soldiers. But that, I think, was a lot bigger, a lot more expansive. That's that's fair. Um, and it, you, you are right, yeah, Ewing is writing the first and the last issue of this whole uh series of one shots or whatever it is um i just i guess thought of it in terms of because seven soldiers like all of the books they're all doing separate things in separate physical places and they don't ever interact with each other um but yeah maybe it is probably more like what you're saying um they did advertise these books as if like all these characters are doing something different and I don't know if they made it seem like in the Defenders book, if they will all physically be together. Um, but who knows? I am not super <laughs> thrilled that they are all going to be five bucks a piece. Because I'm not going to buy insane, them. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, I would have. Yeah. That's mostly why I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which sucks. Because like it seems like a super fun idea. Um, but I guess I'm wondering if we're going to get a real defenders book after this whole mini. Probably. What do you think? Probably. Probably. Yeah. Written by Al Ewing. Yeah. Or Chip Zdarsky. But maybe by Al Ewing. I am. It is sort of interesting. I think like Ewing's on an exclusive with Marvel and Zdarsky's also on an exclusive and his run on spectacular ended this month uh, on spectacular Spider-Man. And I think Marvel 2-in-1 is ending after issue 12 because it wasn't solicited in December. Um, so what is Zdarsky going to be doing? Uh, and is it going to be a Defenders book? Or is Yao Yuan going to be doing a Defenders book? Or is this just a fun thing that they could do in December? I don't know. Um, cool. So last few things. Uh, Charles Soule's Daredevil run is wrapping up with issue 612 in November uh, with an arc called the death of daredevil. One note real quick, the daredevil and spectacular Spider-Man are the only two books that have maintained their legacy numbering from when Marvel legacy restarted as the main numbering of the book. Uh, So I think they're both, I think daredevil is ending in November. I think uh, spectacular Spider-Man is ending probably right after spider Geddon ends. Um, but Charles Soule has been writing Daredevil since all new, all different Marvel in 2016. He will finish having written 42 issues of the series, which in modern comic day stuff is a big deal because most people only get like eight to 12 or less than that. Um, but with an arc title called the death of Daredevil, you expect people to actually die. Um, is Daredevil going to actually die? I guess is the question. Jess, what do you think? I I don't know. I that would be kind of weird to kill off Daredevil 
at this point in time. Because um, it seems like the show is doing really well and people like it. So it would kind of be weird to just like kill them off when now's a good time to sell some books. So maybe it's going to be like a, a metaphorical death or something where like the he has to hang up the mantle or something Maybe something like that, or like I don't. I haven't been reading Daredevil, so I don't know what's actually happening in the book. Um, but it's one of those things. I it's Charles Soule's writing. Writing on Daredevil is something I had wanted to read and never got around to it. So maybe I will catch up now and read this. Maybe. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. So you bring up a really good point. So Daredevil season three starts on October 19th. So it would be sort of dumb for Daredevil to stay dead uh, when they got another Netflix series to sell and they have an opportunity to sell books and be synergistic. Um, Nick, what do you, what do you think about all, all the things? No comment. No comment. Okay. No, I guess. So, so I guess maybe, I guess my thing about this, and this is at a, an add on thought to this that I just had, um, so I'm thinking, yeah, it might be like a metaphorical death, Jess, or my, he might die for like an issue and be sort of dead maybe, and then come back to life somehow. I don't know. Um, but I'm thinking that we'll get an announcement of somebody else who's going to be writing this book at New York Comic Con. But the thought that I had with that is that, um, all the other Defenders related books, uh, the Netflix Defenders, so like Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, they've all gotten moved to the like Marvel Digital Original books and they're coming out, you know, Comixology exclusive already. Uh, I'm wondering if there's somebody that's already been working on a Daredevil book and that we will get a Marvel Digital Original Daredevil series that coincides with the beginning of season three starting um, and that that's already, there's already like two, two or three issues of that in the can. Um, what do y'all think about that? Okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't think they're going to do it just because the character is a lot more popular than the others who've been getting digital first. But mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Do you have any, I, I, do you have any thoughts about who might be somebody who would write Daredevil after, after soul leaves? We might as well stick Brian might Hill on well. it. Might as well. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, Brian Hill would be good. <laughs> I I sort of thought maybe because um, like Tini Howard and Vita Ayala, oh Vita Ayala god, are both t- doing the Marvel the Marvel. Oh my stuff. god! Let Tini Howard write Daredevil. Oh my god! That's the greatest idea ever. Yes, yes. That yes. would be really cool. Or other thought that I had after I had that thought was what if Mag Sasagio wrote a Daredevil book and just like went all Oh Catholic? my God, that's an even better idea. Oh my God. I don't know if she's like, she's in such a weird place, like with her own views on, on the church and everything. But like, oh. I would want her, mm-hmm. she, she would be so good writing Daredevil or Nightcrawler. Like, let this happen. I want to read either one of those books, but probably more Daredevil than Nightcrawler just so I could, like my life I'll be sustained on the tears <laughs> from the from the mm-hmm. fanboys over Mag's writing Daredevil. Like those their tears will sustain me for like decades to come. It'll be great. It'll be great. 
<laughs> you can just, just collect, collect them, them and drink a them bunch in of, a nice a little of... coffee mug and just keep it going. Yeah, yeah, for forever. Spray them on people like coffee coffee water. Oh my god, <laughs> holy water. <laughs> coffee water. <laughs> you tried. You were you were coffee your water. heart was in the right place. Put that on my tombstone. Your just heart was coffee right water. Uh, good, good. We'll do. Okay, two more things. Uh, Superior, Superior Spider-Man's getting another ongoing book. It's gonna be written by Chris Gage with art by Mike Hawthorne. Spinning on Spider Geddon, which starts with a zero issue uh, this week. Um, there's a one shot coming out in October that's a Spider Geddon tie-in with the same creative team called Superior Octopus. And I guess Doc Ock has decided that he wants to be Spider-Man again because he's going to be Spider-Man again. Um, and it's going to be set in L.A. So thoughts on Superior, Superior Spider-Man coming out coming out again and spinning out of, out of Spider-Geddon. Jess, what do, you, what do you think? I was a big fan of the Superior Spider-Man storyline, but I don't think Superior Spider-Man is an idea that needs to stay. I think it worked really well in the moment that it happened and it ran its course and it was really, really good, but I don't think it needs to exist anymore. I, I don't, that's kind of the problem when like something like that happens and it gets really popular because then everyone wants to keep it going, even if it doesn't make a lot of sense. So yeah, I'm, I'm not like totally in love with it. I love the character. I love what it, what that whole thing was. I don't, um, think it needs to keep going and be its own thing sure sure nick what do you what do you think no comment on this one too that's fair yeah i think i think jess i think you're you're probably like it it seems like an idea that should that should have stayed and it's time and place i guess i'm liking it to to um last year when we had a spider event in the fall it was the death no more the clone conspiracy stuff and spinning out of that was the Ben Riley book, the Scarlet Spider book. And it was written by Peter David with art by Mark Bagley. Um, and the Death No More book was, it was okay. I mean, it was an okay spider event. It had really good art because Jim Chung did the art. Um, but the Scarlet Spider book that came after it, I was like kind of excited about it because uh, I like Mark Bagley a lot. Um, and Ben Riley was an interesting sort of villain type character in that event. But the book was not good at all. Um, and it seemed like it was revisiting all of the nineties things about this character that should have just kind of stayed in the nineties. And so I think I, I stopped reading it after like one or two issues. Um, so I'm hoping it's less like that and more like a, Oh, this is a brand new good thing spinning out of this event. Not like a retread of, of, of old stories. Um, cool. Finally, uh, so Marvel acquired the uh, Conan the Barbarian license back at the beginning, I think, of this year. And they're finally putting out books in January. So Jason Aaron and Mamad Asrar uh, with Matt Wilson on colors and covers by Asad Ribic are going to be the creative team on Conan the Barbarian. Starts in January 2019. Um, do either of y'all like Conan things, interested in Conan things? I am so aggressively neutral <laughs> that I can't stand it. <laughs> like I, it amazes me that there are people who are passionate about Conan either positively or negatively, because mm-hmm. I feel like it's just not something that has been a part of the culture in forever. Sure. Like I feel like sword and sorcery is a genre that 
was left behind in the 80s, but obviously it's not. Yeah, because it's coming back like yeah. everything else. No, yeah. Are you, would you read this book because of the of the creative team? No. No. Okay. Jess, what do you think about Conan things? No, same. I mean, I get like it's a thing and I get that like people really like it, but I just it's it's like when it was at Dark Horse and I had to go through the solicits, I was like, I guess I'll just throw Conan on here since people seem to like it. I have no opinion on it, but people like it. So Yeah. 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 I think so I like Jason Aaron and Mama Desire as creators. Um, I have never read or watched anything Conan related. Um, I might read the first book maybe, but who knows? Okay. Wow. We got through all of that in a while. Um, we did it. Okay. Any other thoughts on any of the news things that we talked about before we take a break and then come back and talk books? Nope. Sweet. Okay, well, we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about all four books that we're going to talk about or fun things that Marvel did in September. So stay tuned for that. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we're back. For the second part of the episode, we're going to be reviewing uh, four books that Marvel put out in the month of September. We're going to be taking a look at the Captain America annual, uh, the return of Iceman, uh, the return of Wolverine. He's back, sort of, maybe, sort of. And then we're also going to look at Champions number 24, which uh, was an issue dedicated to uh, issues of gun violence. Um, so yeah, so we're going to start first with Captain America Annual Number One. Um, it was written by Teeny Howard, making her Marvel debut, uh, with art by Chris Spouse and Ron Lim. So uh, Jess, you had a lot of nice things to say about Teeny Howard in the first part of the episode. We'll start with you. What were some of your initial thoughts about this annual i thought this was a really well done like one-off uh world war ii era captain america story like i thought like i think this is like a nice use of it being an annual um because this the new series is still so young um like you couldn't do like some big earth shattering annual this early on so i think they did a great job and I think uh, T. D. Howard, she especially did a great job in writing this story. It felt, it's it's very much like what I think we need to see Captain America do, which is like fuck up some Nazis. Like that, that's 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 good. That that's that's what I liked about it. It, it was it was really well done. Yeah, in 2018, who would have thought that we really needed to see Captain America fuck up some Nazis? <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> here we are. The future is now. The future. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. Oh, yeah. 
Cool, cool. Well, Nick, what 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 do you think? What were some of your your first few thoughts about this this annual? Um, it was the type of story that really uh, you you start reading it and it doesn't fully connect at first, but then it just gradually leads you down, and then suddenly you feel like you're a part of these people's lives. And that was really really cool experience that I haven't had in reading like a single issue comic in a while. Um, so I really appreciated that. Um, and just how we got little uh, bits about who each of the characters were and how like their uh, just the immutable aspects of who they are ended up leading to them or ended up leading them to where they were. Um, that was cool. And yeah, it was just a nice little story about Cap and Bucky helping these people out. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree with all of that, but so the first thing that was kind of cool. So I, I spent all summer. Um, so for those, those of you've never heard this this spiel before, I'm I'm in graduate school right now. But I was taking a a German class all summer, so it was cool to get to be like, oh, I know some of those German words that they're that they're throwing out. And the title of the annual was was Ziegenfarm, which is goat farm. That's what that means. I knew what that meant. I was really proud of myself. Um, <laughs> so that's a really dumb reaction. But, uh, but no, I definitely, uh, yeah, I agree with both of you. Like it, it felt just kind of like what you were saying. It felt very timely, like seeing like cat fuck ups and Nazis in 2018, but also, uh, just realizing like, because the characters that, um, Cap and Bucky are interacting with they're uh, Romani characters. And then they're also interacting with, uh, a man who fled from the Soviet union, who's gay, who was um, being persecuted in the Soviet Union and then also would have been persecuted during, during World War II because um, the homosexual population in Germany was another group of people that the Nazis rounded up and put into camps. Um, but in, in, in 2018, that has such a different ring to it, I guess, maybe in some ways than it would have in 1945 or whatever. Um, and it felt both like very, very set within its time. Like it definitely felt like you were reading an issue about Cap and Bucky in the 1940s in the middle of World War II. But it felt it felt like oddly, just like oddly contemporary and oddly timely and oddly present. Um, yeah, some of I loved some of what Cap would say, um, like his overwhelming acceptance, uh, placing that in 1945 really did feel revolutionary but at the same time i feel like it's a modern day interpretation that was stuck in 1945 like i feel like if i'm just being real here i feel like cap wouldn't have been so open about a gay man i don't know maybe i'm wrong there but that's that was sort of my initial take um Yeah. And I also, in reading this, I kept on thinking about uh, Truth. Um, It was called Truth, Red, White, and Black. It's been reprinted as Captain America Truth, written by Robert Morales and drawn by Kyle Baker. Um, I wrote an evergreen review uh, for Multiversity uh, a few months ago. Um, And basically, that was about how, like, Cap didn't realize the uh, discrimination that he was sort of a party to just by existing um, that happened at the time that he had never really thought of until being exposed to modern day 
beliefs and like revisionist history and looking back and realizing, oh no, things weren't all as great as I thought. I wasn't the perfect like accepting person that I could have been. And so I guess reading that story sort of shaped how I felt about the characterization here. I don't know if that's like a problem with the issue or I don't know. Uh, that's just my thoughts. At the same time, I still did like seeing Cap just being this all-around, completely inclusive, accepting figure. I think that is a really good point to bring up. And I think that there is a lot of reason to agree with that. And I, I wonder, though, if when you're a person writing Captain America, if you're... And, and I... I get people's whole thing with the Bucky um, cat uh, fandom shipping, but there have been people who have seriously written about why they believe cap and Bucky from the get go. um, At least the way that the stories have been retconned, they read it as them being in love. So I wonder if you're someone who believes in that, that pairing that you would then write a Captain America that's more open towards a gay man at that point in time in history. Um, Cause I think what you're saying is a really good point because would 1940s, like late thirties, forties, would, would that Steve Rogers be open to a gay man? But if you're writing it, if your interpretation of the character is that he probably is bisexual at the very least, then it wouldn't come up. I don't know if that makes sense, but because we all know that the Bucky and Captain America ship is like one of the biggest like fandom things in in like the Marvel, at, at least in the Marvel category. And I think I think Teeny Howard is a Stucky fan, so I think if if she's coming at it from if her interpretation of Captain America has that even hinted at, um, then he would be okay with a gay man. I don't know if that makes sense because I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense too. But I'm wondering if you're if 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 you're a creator and your brain says to you that Captain America and Bucky are a thing, then your version of the 1940s Captain America would still be open to it. But I think that's really interesting that you brought that up because I think that's I like to think. Steve Rogers is a really accepting guy, even if he doesn't understand it. And I think maybe um, that point in time, Steve Rogers, even if you assume his sexuality is straight, that he may not totally understand like people being gay, but I still think he'd help you from the Nazis. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that at the very least, um, at the same time, like, I don't know if I completely agree with what you're saying. Like, I, I understand where you're coming from, but in canon, like, Steve has never been shown as anything but completely straight. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Bucky has never been an actual thing. Like, I feel like it's something that resides exclusively in fandom. And so if you have an actual Marvel comic coming out, regardless of who's writing it and their personal beliefs, I feel like that's just the interpretation i think it would still inform how you go about writing him though i think it would still it it's it, even if you're not mm-hmm. even if you're not outwardly saying in the book yeah steve and bucky are a thing um i think it would still inform 
how you'd have him handle um something like this. And I think like think mm-hmm. I think she kind of handled it like as well as you probably could have. Like I didn't get the I didn't get for me I didn't get like Steve Rogers is like about to come out here in a rainbow flag and be the greatest ally <laughs> that be the be the be the quote oh unquote perfect ally who says all the right things but I do think at the end of the day even if he doesn't get it he'd still protect them. The perfect ally of the allies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was one point Wait, I have to find it. There was a point where, like, the guy says that he's gay, and then Cap, like, takes his hand, and then there's a page turn. <laughs> no, he doesn't take his hand. He grabs him by the shoulder. And I was like, are they going to kiss? <laughs> they should have. That would have been interesting. Yeah, would... yeah. He says, what say you to that, Captain America? With, Will you still with, save my life? Button. And then Cap grabs his shoulders. <laughs> what? What page is that on? Anyway. Is that with Bucky standing right there? Um, oh, as a homosexual. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on page. Yeah, it's the bottom of page it. seventeen of the PDF. It's like you. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I. No, anyway. but all that's so interesting. No, I think like I think that's such an interesting way to look at it. Like, what would Steve Rogers actually be like at that point in time? Because like current day Steve Rogers obviously is a guy who, at least in my in my opinion, is a guy who is very accepting. I think he would, I don't, yeah. you know, yeah. I think he's yeah. very much like a progressive guy who is accepting, but it is 2018 now and he's here now, but back then it might've been a different story. So I think that's interesting. I, I, I like that. I, I really do. And if either of you or anybody listening has never read truth, uh, it is highly, highly recommended. I think it's like nine issues and it's all on Marvel Unlimited. It's under Truth colon Red, White, and Black. I will have to go look that up. Um, yeah, I I definitely agree with 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 Jess more so than I do you, Nick, because I didn't I didn't read the the whole thing. Is like yeah, it's like Steve coming out waving the rainbow flag and saying, "Okay, yeah, all of this is I'm all on board with all of this. Everything's okay. I'm a super." super socially progressive person in the 1940s. I read it more as the like, I'm going to save anyone that I can save because war is crazy. And anybody who is put in a camp in in Germany in this time deserves, deserves to be saved. And, and maybe there is a little bit of that, like reading the sort of like 2018 progressive Steve into, um, into this comic. But I, I guess I read that, that scene where he puts his hand on the guy's shoulder um, and he's like, you know, would you still save me even though I'm a homosexual? And Steve's just like, I'm going to save you because you don't deserve to die getting shot because you had to go take a leak outside. Um, uh, mm-hmm. But I, I do think that a lot of um, I'm sure like, like Teeny Howard and, and Chris's spouse's like understanding of, uh, sexuality that we have, that we have in, in 2018 informed a lot of that writing. But I think it's, I think it's super, super interesting that um, that mixed with her, her page long comments at the end of the issue where she's talking about um, having an ancestor who was Romani and uh, Chris Bouse, I think talks about um, his wife who is, uh, is also uh, Romani. And so um, like, when she has the line where she's talking about like, we don't always know about our own histories. Um, 
I think being able to read the read read in the um, persecution of people who were homosexual in the 1940s and tackle it as sort of like a modern lens, tackle it in sort of a modern lens. Like it didn't come off as fake or as like disingenuous. It's like, oh no, this is a real thing that actually happened in this time period. And the way that we think about this now may inform a lot of the ways that we would think about those people being persecuted um, in that time period. But like, it's still not less powerful. Um, And I just thought, I thought for that reason, like all her comments at the end of, of the issue, I thought were really, really cool and informed just like a lot of um, what she was writing about um, throughout the rest of the book. Uh, Yeah. I I definitely loved uh, that. She had that little essay at the back, Um, that sort of thing. You know, like you get maybe every now and then you'll get someone writing a little thing, the letter column or in like their first issue of a series or something like that. But it's not very often that someone just writes a letter at the end of it because they truly feel like they have something to say Mm -hmm. that relates to the story. So that was really cool to see. And even, um, I guess there's also, there's also, I wrote this down, the line that, um, the, the character who, who said he was gay, um, talks about when him and Seaver like talking about vengeance or revenge. And he has a line where he's like, I will simply keep living and, and know that they hate it. And like, he's like, and that's like revenge enough. Um, like even, even mm-hmm. like that line feels like it would go hand in hand in the 1940s and also go hand in hand with, I'm sure the way that some people think about all those things in 2018. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, so yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I did, I, I think it's super interesting to think about what 1940s actual Steve would be like. Um, and I guess like when you said that the first time I started thinking about Steve's portrayal and like Mark Millar and Benjamin Hitches or Brian Hitches, the ultimate stuff. And I don't think that's how modern day Steve would, or like Steve, 1940 Steve would react to stuff like this if he was suddenly, you know, like thrust into like our modern day period or whatever. Um, I don't know why that's where my head went first, but, uh, but yeah, I think, yeah, I think Steve at the very least would be like, these are people fleeing from persecution. I'm going to help them because that's, that's what I'm here to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to clarify, like, it's not that I don't think he would have saved the guy. Like, that's just, I feel like Steve would help him either way. Uh, That's not even a question. I feel like it's more about the individual small interactions between them, uh, just how completely immediately accepting he was. But that's, I think, just a sort of a small gripe and thing to think about. in what I thought was really an overall really good issue. Sure. Sure. And I think, no, like, I think it's totally, um, like a valid question and a, and a, and a really interesting one. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Do you have any other Captain America thoughts while we're, while we're here? I think annuals are such a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I oftentimes kind of question, like, do we really need them anyway? Um, but I, at least like this one, I think, I I think Captain America as a character in the comics, at least has been through such a weird time, um, 
where I think people may have stopped caring about him um, because of the whole secret empire nonsense. And I think, and this is why I really like the current series. And, and this is why I really like this annual is because I think it's, it may seem like it's really simple, but I think it's a return to what makes Captain America, Captain America. Like in this issue, he's gonna, he's helping people from Nazis. And it's not like he's helping like a famous dignitary from Nazis. He's just helping some people that don't deserve to die like that. And, and in the current series, he's trying to figure out what he represents in this day and age by trying to help out, you know, people who are being screwed over and hurt. And, and I think, um, I think that's good. I think, I think this is what Captain America needs because comic cap and like movie cap are very different. So, um, yeah, no, I like, I like this. I think Captain America is going through a good moment right now. At least I hope it keeps going. Yeah. Yeah. I told, I totally agree with that. And I think that, um, your comments about the, the format of, of annuals, I think that, this issue at least justifies the idea of series having annuals. Uh, like you, you gave the book to a writer who's never written at Marvel before, who is an up and coming writer and gave them 40 pages and said, tell your story. Here's your limit. And you gave them an artist who's been around the block at, at Marvel for, for quite a while. And, and this, I think that, I think that Teeny Howard took the 40 pages that she had for an annual, took the, the longer, the longer issue. And I think it's, it's paced really well. And I think she definitely told a story that was like, okay, if I have this page limit, what can I do? It wasn't a, Oh fuck. I have to stretch this for eight more pages. How much extra dialogue can I put in? Um, which I think sometimes is what annuals are when you have weird extraneous stories. Yeah. And she, I thought she did a really good job of the type of story that, couldn't be expanded any further than it was uh, just because the whole thing took place basically in one night. Uh, the whole thing was very uh, contained to one small location. Uh, and it's, yeah, just the type of thing that unless you're in like, it's, it's sort of like a bottle episode, but you comics don't really do that. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's the same storytelling idea that you're in this one place and it's, over this short amount of time, almost real time. Uh, yeah. And that's the sort of thing that you can only really do in a single issue story. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah. Long story short, this issue is very good. Um, cool. Well, we'll chug right along. So next up, we're going to talk about the return of Iceman and Iceman number one written by Senna Grace illustrated by Nathan Stockman. Uh, Iceman had an ongoing series as a part of the resurrection initiative that got canceled uh, at the end of Marvel legacy. I think it run 12 issues, Nick, 14 issues, something like that. 11. 11. Okay. Um, got canceled. And, and, and Grace even talks about this at the back of this first issue uh, ran really, really well in the trade market and in the bookstore market. And Marvel is like, yeah, you can have another go. So, we're getting a a five man a five issue five man a five issue Iceman miniseries. Um, so Nick, you were really high on this this series uh, in its first iteration, and Jess, you definitely read it as part of all your uh, Mutant University 
article stuff over at Multiversity. So Nick, we'll start with you. Um, what were your initial thoughts and how does this feel as a continue- continuation of the last Iceman book? It actually feels pretty different to me. And I was surprised. Um, it could have been that I had just woken up from a nap and I was like, <laughs> my, my brain was kind of hazy when Fair I read enough. it. But, Fair um, enough. <laughs> I'm, I'm still a little jet lagged. I was in California the last week. But um, sorry, that was completely off topic. <laughs> uh, You're good. Iceman. Yeah, it felt more upbeat in the sense that you know, part of this might be that we got a lot less captions from Bobby, whereas I felt like that was a really, uh, the internal monologue was a really huge thing in the initial 11 issues. So I'm wondering why they cut back on that. Uh, but that, doing that actually made it feel less angsty and it made it feel a lot more outwardly fun and just about uh, solving the issue at hand, uh, less introspective and more uh, adventurous. So that was pretty cool. And the art, um, the initial series, I probably my biggest criticism of it was that I felt like the art, which I believe was primarily by Alessandro Vitti or, uh, Califior, I forget his first name. Um, yeah, their art, whoever it was that did it, um, they have similar styles. So I was getting confused. Uh, it's very, uh, scratchy. It's very, uh, like it fits for horror, uh, that type of art and like heavy, just black scratch lines all over. And I just felt like that didn't really fit the series well. So I feel like, uh, Nathan Stockman's art fits the series a lot better. Um, it's, I'd say more traditional, uh, but it's also more, uh, it allows for more fun and more uh, expressive people or at least expressive in a different way. Yeah. So overall I liked it. Also, I was wondering who the Morlocks were until I realized they're the people who spike in X-Men evolution went and joined. Oh, I love X-Men evolution. The 90s. Yeah. Now that, that's interesting. Like that's an interesting take that it's that's a lot different from the first one. And I I didn't read the the first iteration, so it's it's interesting to hear that from you. Jess, what did you what did you think about this this first issue? I also think it read differently. Um, but I think like I think part of the first series was that uh, Bobby was kind of learning how to get comfortable with himself, and I think now with the second series, he kind of is. And it kind of shows in the, in the book reading differently. Like the first miniseries was really good, but it seemed like he was unsure. And so it came across in the story. Now it's like he's sure of who he is. And now he's doing something a little different. Where the first series was really about him coming to terms with the sexuality and everything. The second series so far is more like, well, he's come to terms with that. So now what is his world like? What is he as a hero? And, and what is his new path because it's different that he's not the same character he used to be and that's a good thing um it's change it's good change and it feels very natural um i i really did like the issue um i think the first series i think took a little bit to really get going and i think that's going to be the same thing with this one um but i am very 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 excited by emma frost showing up at the very end 
Um, Emma Frost and Iceman have a long history, and I think um, it'll be fun to see them back like this all these years later. So I, yeah, I, I liked it. I liked it. I think it was mostly good. Mostly good. I think it's just going to take a minute, a, an issue or two to really come into its own. Two things. Uh, one, um, it's interesting that you said, and I completely agree how, yeah, the first he was like him coming to terms with his sexuality, just trying to understand himself as this new like now that he understands this part of himself. Uh, so this, this series, he is a lot more sure of himself. And that goes back to what I was saying about how there are no captions and we're a lot less inside his head because he's also a lot less inside his head. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's cool. Uh, I'm sure that was a conscious de- decision for that reason. Um, and the second thing, question for you, Jess, mm-hmm. uh, I guess what specifically was their relationship, uh, Iceman and Emma Frost, and did they ever date? Um, they didn't, they didn't actually date, but, uh, Emma Frost, like, knew that Iceman was so powerful, and she possessed him for a while, um, and she, like, used him to, like, what did she, she needed to use him to find out something, and, um, she, so she's, she's aware of how powerful he is and everything, and, um, so they go back and forth on that a lot, um, I'm trying to find exactly what I think. I don't know um, what exactly they might take uh, for uh, out of their history to work with here, but uh, they they go back a while, um, uh, uh, particularly with his powers. Like she 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 knows how powerful because he's like an omega level mutant or whatever, um, which makes him more powerful than everybody else. So. Um, yeah, they, they have a kind of a love hate thing and he kind of hates her for the possession and, and kind of trying to take advantage of him with, with, uh, fostering his own power. So yeah, it's, it's, it's fun for her to be back with him because she's Emma Frost and she's petty, but he's not exactly, he's not exactly excited to see her. So that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. They weren't like a couple, though. They cool. weren't like they they weren't a couple. I mean, now who okay. knows what it's gonna be? Um, yeah, who knows what it's gonna be? But she used to she literally physically used his body, so um, without his consent. Yeah, without his <laughs> consent, which is kind of an Emma Frost thing. <laughs> uh, she kind she kind of does that. Everybody, that's kind of her thing. I love Emma Frost, but that's kind of like her thing. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was way different than I thought. Cool. That I was gonna go. I was I had the same question. I don't really know. I didn't really know what Iceman and Emma Emma Frost would have been like uh, before this, but I thought it might have been like a they dated thing, or at least like hooked up, hooked up, hooked up a couple times or something. Yeah, like she. she yeah, no, no. She like possessed him and like screwed with his powers a little bit, and it, it, for a long time. Uh, Iceman, uh, I did, I did a whole uh, Mutant Versity post about like just specifically Iceman's history. So if you're listening to this and like want to read that, you can. It's it's there. Um, for a long time, it was not known that he was like um, that he was as powerful as he is. He didn't know, and 
when he kind of gets mixed up with Emma Frost, she kind of she kind of forces that out of him, and he's not really ready for that. Like he doesn't really know. Like she takes over his body and uses it without um, his consent. So. And it, like, unleashes, like, all these powers, and, like, he gets stuck as ice form for a while, and and everything, so he's not, and then he's kind of, like, because she possessed him, I think, like, at a certain point, I don't remember when this was, but I think he, like, he doesn't get fixated on her, but, like, he keeps seeing her, like, it's very much, like, the kind of thing where he can't separate himself from her entirely, but it was never, like, a romantic relationship, it was more like she took advantage of him and his powers, and kind of forced out, like, his Omega levels, uh, his Omega level power, and that's why when young Bobby comes back, uh, when young Bobby is brought into it, um, in the all-new X-Men run, he's kind of, like, blown away by the stuff he can do, because he's still at that point where he doesn't know he can do any of that, he doesn't know, he thinks he's just like, yeah, I can turn into a snowman and throw ice and snow, but he doesn't actually know how, how powerful he is. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Okay. So she's back, so that'll be fun. <laughs> gotcha. So Kevin Yeah. So uh so Kevin, you did you say that you had or had not read the series, the original one? I have not I haven't read the first eleven the first iteration, the first eleven issues okay. now. So how was this issue for you? It was really fun. I thought it was um yeah, like like what both of you said, it was really it was really fun. Yeah, like Bobby definitely read as a lot more confident. He makes a lot of jokes about not being able to find a man. Um, like I thought the the first gag about like going to a nightclub and like making a, a glass slipper for a guy and being like, hey, you, you lost your shoe. Like that was kind of cute. And then the um, when he's like ties up, the uh the all right dudes that come down to try to like fuck up the morlocks and he's like no i'm saving myself for captain america like that was really fun um it was like definitely a lot more i remember because i remember you saying nick and you you reiterated this just that like the first issue is very much about him kind of discovering himself and sort of um playing with this idea that like oh yeah i'm gay i like men um and like here, yeah, he's definitely pretty much like, man, I just wish I had a boyfriend and I'm making a lot of like really just very fun gay jokes. Um, and I thought that was, I, I don't know, I thought it was fun. I thought it was really fun. Um, and I thought it was kind of cool that the whole book is basically like, oh, Mr. Sinister got the mutant hate all right dudes off the dark web together to kill mutants. And that seems sort of ripped from... Uh, today's news. So Bobby gets to fuck up some nice, some Nazis in 2018, just like, uh, just like Cap did. And, um, and yeah, I don't know. I thought it was a, I thought it was a fun issue. I thought Stockman's art looked very nineties. Um, there's a lot of like big shoulder things and like the one, uh, panel where, uh, Bishop was about to go get into the fight again and he's like got his arms out and his he's got like his fists and they're all purple looks very burly and um and very 90s with like a small head but a huge body um and all the all the mutant hater dudes have huge shoulder pads um, yeah that's an interesting point that i hadn't thought about the character design for those uh those the mutant hater people the alt-right from the interwebs um 
They look like all the Saiyans from like Dragon Ball Z with like the huge shoulder looking things that like stick out real far, yeah. you know, like the like Saiyan battle armor. Well, stuff. They, they look like a lot of like just bad parts of the 90s that we want to forget, <laughs> which is the point, yes. which is really cool. Uh, hadn't made that connection mm-hmm. until now. Yeah, no, I think it's I, I definitely think it's purposeful because it's like, oh, these people are modern day racists. Um, but but yeah, the art and like like even some of like the the faces and some of like the other uh, like bodies, the way that Stockman draws bodies in this issue look very 90s in a way that I haven't seen him draw people in other comics that I've seen him um, draw. I don't know why that was so hard to say. Cool. Um, but yeah, no, I thought it was I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, and I think I think I think there's a lot of like kitschy sort of like X Men references, like talk about like onslaught and like mutant massacres, and I know that those were like X events from the '90s or before, even though I haven't read any of them. Um, definitely got the references, uh, and I and and again, this is another book that has a fun letter in the back of it, uh, and I definitely thought the the things that center grace said at the back where he's talking about like you know this book definitely got canceled but thank god for people who bought it in the bookstore market and for librarians um and for other people who hawked the book um thank you and i thought that was really really cool too yeah it's sort of a confirmation of everything that we had uh that we had discussed like maybe once this book gets out more into the comics mar- or into the non direct market, you know, maybe it'll do better. And it did. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Um, and yeah, I think, I don't know. I think that that's, I think that's really cool. So that's all I got. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Uh, so I think we're all going to continue to read this book. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to keep going with it. I'm, yeah. yeah. Uh, a book that I'm not sure if I'm oh, going to keep reading. Um, <laughs> the Return of Wolverine, number one, <laughs> written by Charles Stoll, illustrated by Steve McNiven. Uh, Wolverine's back, and he's got a fuck ton of hair. Uh, <laughs> Jess, we'll start with you. The hair. What are your thoughts? The f- he looks like a fucking lion. I don't anyway. See, I actually, that's like the only thing about this issue I liked. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, good. Okay. I, I, I don't like, I didn't like the story. I didn't, I don't, I honestly think my problem with all of this is that we already, there's been so much about him coming back and he's already back. It's like, do I really need this story to tell me the, the nitty gritty of why he's back when he's already back doing stuff? I don't need it, but. I do love really ugly, really hairy Wolverine. That is my Wolverine. Love That's shards like. of glass and metal. <laughs> I love shards of glass wow. and metal Wolverine. There you go. I don't like pretty Hugh Jackman Wolverine. I like short, stumpy, hairy, grumpy ugly wolverine so that's like the only thing about it i liked <laughs> one might say that jess likes old man logan mm-hmm. uh well <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> but, but no i did not like uh i don't like the story i just i i just don't care 
Mm-hmm. I like that 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 doctor whose son just died was trying to stare at Wolverine's dick. <laughs> I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> that was kind of interesting. But that's about it. Yeah, it um, it's by the same creative team as Death of Wolverine, and I think I like it about as much. Uh, <laughs> See, I haven't read I haven't read that either. Yeah, I, I read it in like forty five minutes. Nothing happens in it. He dies. <laughs> nothing at all yeah so bad. fair enough yeah i think uh for all of the people that still would classify steve mcniven as some of like marvel one of marvel's best artists maybe need to reevaluate that he might need to go out to pasture like some of the other um peoples from the 90s and stuff like people who are still jim lee apologists in the modern day <laughs> yeah i was reading it and i was like there, okay, there's blood and 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 flesh and um, broken stuff. People are dead. Uh, what else is happening here? Like, I just, I couldn't wrap my head around what was happening in the art and not in a good way. Like, sometimes you want that feeling because, like, the character is disoriented, but this was just bad. Agreed. Yeah, this this book was way more violent than I thought it was going to be. Um, yeah. And it's weird, I think, because... We've had 18 Return of Wolverine or Death of Wolverine, whatever, Hunt for Wolverine stuff before this. It sounds like an exaggeration. It's not. It's really, it's, it's literally 18 issues. <laughs> um, none of them were as violent as this. Uh, and basically all the Hunt for Wolverine books were useless because they summed them up in the Hunt for Wolverine Dead Ends book in like five pages of everything that happened in all four of the, in all 16 of those issues. Um, but it's like, this is just like torture porn um of just like people getting shot and people getting killed and wolverine not knowing at all who he is which is really weird i'm and so this is the other question that i had reading this is like is this supposed to be happening like right now like in the like present forefront of the marvel timeline or is this like what takes place before the marvel legacy issue number one where he finds like the mind stone or whatever or space stone or whatever it is well it depends. Did that issue of X Men Gold with the wedding take place in the future? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> or is that really just a different Wolverine? I... Oh, because because the yeah, he was up there. I think we hypothesized that maybe it was just a cardboard cutout. We did. We did say that. <laughs> um, that's right. Because the the end of the the Hunt for Wolverines Dead Dead Ends issue is this Persephone, this this villain coming to Kitty Pride and Tony Stark and Storm and all the rest of the people gathered there and saying, I have Wolverine. Don't come looking for him, even though you just did that for 16 issues. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. And this, the whole, when is he coming back and how has he already come back, but he's already back and he had a infinity stone, but then he didn't have an infinity stone. And it's like, I just want it to be over. Yeah, I liked the uh, the visual of like him unlocking the different selves in his mind, uh, but Rogan Gambit literally just did that like three months ago. That's also true. Yeah. 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 I am sort of a little bit excited that Declan Shalvey is going to be doing the next few issues of this, because at least it'll look prettier. Um, but that's the only thing that I have to say. I'm also really curious... And this is just like a speculation thing. Um, uh, also, hot claws because we didn't mention that he has his hot claws this issue. 
they're hot. They're on fire. Mm. Um, are they on fire yet, or are they just hot? They were. I don't know. They were. They looked hot in the first <laughs> in the first uh, page because he's like, ah, okay. uh, no, no. There's a there's an N and a Y in front of that. It's like no, nah! <laughs> uh, and they're hot. But then they're not hot anymore. Um, but so Charles Soule's wrapping his Daredevil run. He doesn't have anything else at Marvel planned after this at the moment. Uh, what if he is leaving Marvel after the return of Wolverine and maybe either going to do DC stuff or writing a second novel because his first novel came out this year? I feel like he's the type of writer who would write his novel while doing comics work. Um, yeah. But- I don't know. Maybe he has more creator-owned stuff. I don't think that he's leaving Marvel yet. I feel like he has too much stuff to like that he hasn't touched yet, even though he's written a whole bunch of books. Yeah. Well, because he was at and because he was at DC for a little bit before he did the death of Wolverine stuff in She-Hulk. Um, and I don't think that he got to really, excuse me, tell a lot of the stories that he wanted to tell at DC. Like he was doing. <laughs> Swamp Thing, and he was doing Red Lanterns, and maybe yeah. something else. Um, and those were not like high-selling titles or like high-profile mm-hmm. books or anything. Um, Red Lanterns was great, though. Oh, yeah. it was <laughs> I always—it's like that one like series that everybody forgot about. That I'm always like, no, but this was actually really good. It I was. feel like I mention it all the time. <laughs> it was. Um. And I like he's pretty. I think pretty publicly on Twitter, he's pretty yeah. good friends with like Scott Snyder and those mm-hmm. folk. Um, so I'm just I don't know. Like DC's woo and all the Marvel people over there. Like G Willow Wilson's over there. Bendis is over there. Kelly Sue's over there. Maybe they got soul on something fun over there, or he has more creator own work in the works. But other than Bendis, uh, those other two also still have work at Marvel, don't they? Or Kelly Sue doesn't. Kelly's no, Kelly, because Kelly, Kelly Sue uh, DeConnick uh, went to write TV for a while, and I think she's okay. still doing TV. She did. She wrote. She was in a writers' room. Um, that Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, Wizard of Oz show that was on NBC for a little while that got canceled. That apparently was actually pretty good. Um, Emerald, she was in the Emerald writers' City? room. Emerald City. She was in the. Uh, she was in the writers' room for that. Okay. She's part of the writers' room for that, and I think that's what Matt Fraction's doing now too. That he's mm-hmm. he's doing TV, but I don't know what he's working on. Well, they um, were working on the Sex Criminals pilot. Yeah, but that was a long time ago. So <laughs> pilots take forever. Well, yeah, so we'll see um, what happens with that. But she uh, she isn't doing anything at Marvel right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Side note yeah. on pilot things. Did you know that Michael Shapon's in the writing room of the like Picard Star Trek thing that CBS? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I love Michael Shapon. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe, maybe Charles Soule is going to take after Jeff Lemire and just work wherever. That would be, that would be fine. Mm-hmm. I would be fine with that. He's, he already said he's got his, he's working on his second novel. Um, I saw that on Twitter the other day that he's already like getting, getting in the midst of writing that. Um, and I bought his first book and read it. It was not bad. Um, that's not a ringing endorsement. I know, but, (laughs) um, anywho, uh, any other Wolverine thoughts? We are not fans of this book. (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) No, we're not. We're not. Um, 
A book that I sort of liked a little bit, and I'm interested to hear what both of you have to say, is the last book that we're going to talk about this episode, and that is Champions Number 24, written by Jim Zub, illustrated by Sean Izaxi. I'm going to go with that. Um, So Zub announced on Twitter that this, and I think it got picked up by Newsarama, um, first that this book was going to be an issue that covered gun violence and specifically um, school shootings uh, and school shootings in the United States. So the whole issue takes place around at the, at the beginning around a school shooting that happens at the the Brooklyn visions Academy, which is where miles Morales goes to school. Um, so it deals with all of those very serious, very real issues. Um, and so I'm wondering first, what were your initial reactions when you heard that that's what this issue is going to be about? And then second, what are your sort of your initial thoughts about the issue? So Jess, we'll start with you. I didn't know that this was what this issue was when I opened it up. <laughs> I thought oh, I didn't okay. know. Um, I I think I blanked out like completely. So when I started reading this, I was like, oh, all right. Um, I don't know how to feel about something like this. I think it's really important that they did it, but I don't know, like... I don't know if it said anything that I haven't already seen before. Like I agree with this. I agree with what happens in it. Like I, I agree with how I agree with the stance that the team is clearly taking about it. Um, but it's like, I don't know how to talk about it. I don't know about how to talk about the quality of it. You know what I mean? Um, because it is such an emotional and um, tragic thing to look at. Um, but it doesn't do anything new. It, it's again, it's like heroes. It's like heroes realizing that they can't fix everything and that sometimes superpowers aren't enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's not a bad issue. It's just it's more like it is like a PSA um, through the lens of like through the perspective of like these young teenage superheroes and they all have a different reaction to it and i think that all really works it's just this wasn't something that i felt was like breaking any new ground but i also felt like it was necessary to do i don't know if any of that makes sense (laughs) no no i think that that's i think that that's a pretty that's a pretty fair assessment um yeah i think that when I first heard that Jim Zub was was doing this issue, I was like, "Oh, that's going to be really, really bad." Um, and and I read it, and it was surprisingly a lot more tasteful than I thought it was going to be, um, which is which is very good. I think it has um, a lot more uh, a lot more depth as opposed to just like school shootings are bad and shit's really bad and shit's really bad. Um, like I, I, I thought it was like you said, going to be like a PSA, but just like a PSA of like, it was going to be like super, super preachy and just like really awful. Um, and it wasn't, I, I do agree with you. I'm not sure that it really said anything. Like, I don't know that it really had like a clear cut, sort of here's the answer which i think i mean i think i have 
been answered is cool shootings. Let's get rid of all the guns, but, um, or get rid of the assault rifles. Uh, but I think, I think that all of the characters behaved in a way that was true to the way that all of these characters behave. Um, and I thought that was really good. And I think, and I, I got a little, um, emotional in the middle of the book when, uh, Miss Marvel's school is doing a school shooting drill and her friend and her friends are crying because, or Nadia's crying. I think I heard that, that, that girl's name is Nadia. Um, Nakia, Nakia, Nadia, Nakia. Um, because that feels, that feels like a real reaction. Um, and, and having, uh, watched the survivors of like the Parkland shooting, having seen the reactions of, of other teenagers to school shootings, having heard reactions of teenagers now having to do active shooter drills like this in schools. I think that that's a, that's a very real reaction. Um, and I guess I thought, I guess I assumed the book would have like a, here's the answer and here's the solution. And maybe I'm glad that it didn't because I don't know that Jim Zeb probably has any or all of the answers anyway. And so maybe the like playing it safe sort of emotional core of the book is, was the way to go, but I don't know, Nick, Nick, what do you, what do you think? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> I don't know if you guys knew, but I live like literally right next to Parkland, um, like the the school where the shooting happened uh, back in feb- February. Uh, like I would go to that school for uh, like band competitions and things like that. So I feel like I had a different perspective about school shootings before and after that event, uh, just because I feel like until like the community that you're a part of has experienced something like that, I feel like you just can't fully grasp the reality of it and the reality of like the types of things that people go through when that sort of thing happens. So I feel like Jim Zub tried, (laughs) tried to understand, but I feel like he just didn't fully grasp. Like it felt like the issue was just going through the motions of like, these are the outward, like the little things that happen but it's nothing like what it's actually like to live through when the community is going through this sort of thing. Like there was a helicopter literally stationed like above my house. Uh, Yeah. So in reading the issue, none of it was distasteful and I like that. Uh, But at the same time, yeah, it just didn't say anything new. And I wonder if, maybe if it had gone into a detail, like for instance, like someone who I was friends with in college uh, works at this dog daycare and like the teacher who died in like the Parkland shooting uh, had his dog at that daycare that day. And like, that was just a devastating thing. Uh, So I wonder if you were to include little details like that to show how devastating it is, would that also cross the line into exploitation? And I'm glad that Jim Zub didn't go in that direction. But at the same time, I feel like it was sort of a missed opportunity because he didn't really say much. Um, And at the end of the day, I felt like the point that he tried to get at at the end, which is like, we can't save everybody and uh, like everybody reacts to things in their own way. 
I feel like that could have been said and done in a completely different scenario that didn't need to bring school shootings into it. Yeah, I think that um, I think those are all really good points. I I don't think that I I I don't think that I realized that you live that close to that community. Um, so so thank you for 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 sharing that. Um, yeah, I uh, I think that you're I think that you're you're absolutely right. Like he doesn't say anything that's revolutionary or new, and it it definitely plays it safe in a lot of ways. And I think even sort of the assessment that like the, we can't save everyone. Um, and like the context of miles feeling bad that he wasn't at school at the time that the shooter was there, that rings true. But in the context of if this is a commentary on the real world, um, like, what a horrible, what a horrible assessment that like, oh, we're just not going to be able to save all of these school children who have to live with this fear or have to live in a world where this is, where this is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that rings false because I think that there are things to do. And maybe, maybe I'm, I, I don't think that I'm wrong about that, but I think that um, in like a larger sense that, that one, that one, doesn't make sense to me or frustrates me or that's not the conclusion that I want to come to about this thing. And, and, and Nick, you can, you can maybe tell me I'm, I'm misguided or idealistic about that, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I completely agree that everybody understands things differently. And if that's how someone understands this sort of situation, I don't think that it's a bad thing for them to hold on to. Uh, because like, who am I to say how someone is supposed to find strength in something? Uh, but at the same time, I feel like making that the overall uh, like message of the issue itself, as opposed to just the issue that Kamala had, uh, I don't know if I agree about that. I think I think the the idea sure. of Miles learning you can't save everyone is a lesson to learn when you're a superhero who has to literally save who who feels like they need to be in eight different places at once i think him having to learn that lesson after his shooting happens at his school is misguided um so i i agree with you kevin i think the lesson is not a i think applying it to this particular situation is weird and not doesn't really work but I think, like, because I, I think of uh, saying to a superhero, you can't save everybody, is if you're helping this person not get mugged and somebody else is getting mugged on the opposite side of town, you literally cannot be in two places at once. Um, and you shouldn't feel like you have to take on the entire world's problems at that point. But applying it to this particular situation is very weird to me. Um but I think at the end where it's like everyone coming together to maybe try to make the world a better place, I think that's a good lesson. And the, the issue in the end kind of reminds me of um, like us reading it, we're adults. <clears throat> we have kind of our own views on, on these things after seeing it so many times. I think 
this falls into the kind of categories that something like Zootopia or Inside Out falls into, where it's like, this is good, a good starting place for somebody younger to kind of make sense of a situation like this, especially if they've never actually, I mean, hopefully they've never experienced it. Um, But I think it is a good starting point for someone younger to make sense of it. It's not the answers and it does have its issues, but it's like I said, I think it falls into that category of like Zootopia, especially where Zootopia is a really good place to start the conversation um, about racial inequality, but it's just a starting point because there's still lots of nuance and um, things that that movie doesn't tackle. And I think that's kind of like what this issue is like. It, it starts a conversation and I think that's good. I just don't love it as a whole, but I think the intentions were good. And I think it could have been a lot more distasteful than it was. Yeah. So I'm going to share another story here. Um, I I liked actually the way that Miles felt by the end of the issue, but I think the message should have been more, if something has already happened, there's nothing you can do to prevent it from having happened as opposed to uh, what the message was which was sometimes you can't save everybody. And it seems like that's more uh, like just about the wording of it. But like, I know after the Parkland shooting happened, uh, like my first instinct was like, what can I do? And I wanted to go give blood because like, I'm the like universal donor type, but then like, I wasn't allowed to give blood because I'm gay. And I think that's, it's completely different like topic for a different day. But I think I felt in the same sort of way that Miles did, just in the sense that like sometimes there is a situation and you really can't do anything about it. And I think that's just a part of reality that any person can relate to. Yeah, no, I th- and I think that that's, that, that assessment, that would have been the assessment that I wish uh, exactly the way that you worded it. I wish that they would have come to it. Like this, this horrible thing happened. There is nothing that I can do about that to change the fact that it happened. But going forward, there is a lot of things that I can do. Um, and I think even the way that like Kamala is, is talking to miles where she's like, um, she's like, you know, Viv is rattling off statistics and data points. Amadeus wants to solve it like a math problem. Riri is cynical about it but won't stop tinkering. And then Omco just wants everyone to feel better. Like all four of those positions are positions that political pundits and your aunt on Facebook or whatever have in the wake of things like these. Like we all either just want to go to the statistics or we all want to go to the thoughts and prayers route, or we all want to go the route, maybe like, like Riri who grew up in Chicago and is a victim of gun violence. Um, and say like, there's just nothing that we can do um, because people are horrible. And I think uh, like given all of those different perspectives, yeah, the answer is not, well, shit happens and we got to move on. I think the answer is this thing happens. What can we do to make sure that it doesn't happen again? Not what can we do to make sure we're better prepared for it, but what can we do to make sure that it doesn't happen again? 
Um, yeah. Oh man, that got that got surprisingly <laughs> deep there at the end, folks. Um, so sorry about that, or I mean, not you know, sorry about it's that. It's good that um, these things can be talked about in like a comic book. You know, like I, I do think it's it's valuable to do this kind of stuff. It's just <laughs> it's hard. It's like it's like any criticisms I have are not coming from like a place where it's like oh, I don't want you to do this. It's like. I get it. You really, you really are trying, and it's really good to approach these subjects. It's just it doesn't always work perfectly, yeah. and I don't think it's possible to work perfectly. Yeah, like everybody, I guess anybody who cares, which is most people, want to say something, but nobody knows exactly what to say, and that's part of the problem. Yeah. And obviously, yeah. that'll extend when you're trying to write fiction about it. Yeah. I mean, at least it, it's it. At least it the issue was. At least in the end, it's like it it leaned more towards the side that I wanted it to be on anyway. It wasn't some like NRA propaganda. So I take I take solace in that. <laughs> they didn't give. They didn't go. Hey, yeah. say hey, Miles. Yeah. Maybe yeah. you should also have a gun. <laughs> you know so. <laughs> that is fair that's what Saladin Ahmed's uh, (laughs) new series is about it's about Miles carrying a gun Um, uh, no Um, yeah I think that this could have been a lot worse than it was and I think we can celebrate the things that it achieves and we can also definitely say but there's a lot more that it could have done Um, which is I guess if you're going to err on one side or the other yeah. I'm glad that it 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 was not as bad as it could have been. And as bad as I thought it was going to be when I first saw that that's that it was going to be about school shootings. So Yeah. Um oh wait. Well folks, that you is the, our uh, show Avengers thing no. overview. <laughs> oh yeah, right. You've been in California and Vegas. Um so yeah. Please, please go ahead. Give us, give us that yeah, little So I was on uh, vacation with my family last week. And uh, basically in Las Vegas, they, uh, it's at the Treasure Island Hotel. They have this Avengers, uh, it's called Station, but like it's an acronym, S-T-A-T-I-O-N. Don't ask me what it stands for. Um, and basically you go in uh, and it's, they act like it's this huge, like, shield facility and you're being like debriefed on all this stuff and you go through and they have actual props and uh costumes from the movie uh so it's really cool Uh, as you're walking through they have different rooms for like multiple different avengers um i'd say the downside is that there aren't that many like original things like they have certain replica things uh overall i feel like they tried a little too hard to make it family-friendly, like things that kids would enjoy other than just a costume museum. Um, but the those things are pretty cool when they're there. Uh, but some of it, they tried to make it like when you're looking at it, there's this like data file over the glass. And then like that data file will disappear so that you can actually see the costume, but it doesn't fully disappear. Like there is, like you can still see the pixels as if there's a screen covering it. <clears throat> excuse me um 
yeah, it's just, I, I felt like it was cool in some aspects, but then in some aspects it was whatever. Like if you're a huge Avengers fan, I'd say go check that out if you love the movies. Um, if, you, if you're if you just like kind of whatever on it, I'd say don't go. Uh, but still, I'm glad I went. It was cool to see the, the costumes up close. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure that's a, a, great, a great preview and lead up to you and Jess being at New York Comic Con next week and getting to see more stuff like that and other fun costume things and mm-hmm. all of that other good stuff. I'm super jealous that I will not be at New York Comic Con next week, but... <laughs> But if anybody listening is there, uh, hit up me and Jess. Yeah, if you're listening to this and you're going to Comic-Con, I am going to be cosplaying all four days. So uh, you can find me. I'll be easy to spot. Thursday and Friday, I'll be Zoya from the show Glow. So I'll be easy to spot. I'll be like eight inches taller than usual because of these boots I've got. And uh, Saturday, I will be looking for Sami Zayn as I dress up as Kevin Owens and then Sunday I will be Kenny Omega. So it's, it's a wrestling centric cosplay weekend for me. (laughs) I'll be easy to spot. I'll be the only girl dressed up as Kevin Owens. I promise you that. So, (laughs) um, yeah, I, I, I love taking photos. So like, seriously, if you're at the con and you want photos, let me know. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and we'll be back the week after New York Comic Con to give you a rundown of all of the things that Marvel announced and uh, said at, at NYCC this year. And so be looking forward to that. But until then, if you're going to be at New York Comic Con next week, don't tweet at me. But if you want to tweet at me anyway, I'm on Twitter at KBGregory13. Uh, Nick and Jess, where can they find you and where can they tweet at you to let you know that they might be at New York Comic Con this next weekend? So I'm sort of back on Twitter. I check my notifications and I tweet every now and then. Uh, my Twitter is at npalmerywrites. Nice. Uh, I'm on Twitter at justcamnj. And you can tweet at me. I love to tweet. Love to tweet. I will never, I will never <laughs> log off. <laughs> never, ever, ever, ever. I will ever. have to pry my phone from the cold, dead hands. <laughs> Well, I'm sure that that wouldn't be too harsh. But, ah. Anywho, folks, we will see you in a couple weeks. Enjoy New York Comic Con, and we'll be back in October. Till then, keep a reading. <laughs> <laughs>